This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I would let my children go. Absolutely not if I felt that they weren't safe. Businesses are suffering all over the place. Surely an energy director has to look at these price rises and say, are these justified? You take the kids, we'll take the bags. The kindness in her words, you know, I felt the tears flow. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96FM. Oh, 818-969696 is the number. Good morning. Join our conversation at that number. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 or email opinion at 96fm.ie. That story that's dominated the news the last couple of days of the guy who threw excrement at uh, two politicians at a meeting up the west of Ireland, he has now come forward and said, I'll tell you who he is in a minute, he has come forward now and said, well, someone had to speak up to them. He defended what he did and said that he was justified in doing it. He also said the whole story is being blown out of proportion. I'll get to that one in a while. I'm asking you, what do you think? I mean, is it acceptable? Is it ever acceptable to do what that man did at a public meeting in, in Galway? He's come out and said, yeah, I did it. I had to do it. Someone had to send them a message. We'll see how you feel about that in a few minutes. 0818 96 96 96. But we've quite a lot of crime stories happening around our city and county this Friday morning, including the discovery of a body in unexplained circumstances in Cork. Joined from the 96FM newsroom by Maureen Tuick. Maureen, what can you tell us about that? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, so this discovery was made uh, last evening in Mallow and it was shortly after 7pm yesterday evening when Guardian Emergency Services were alerted and the body of a man in his 50s was found at the foot of a stairwell in an apartment in Mallow. Now, we don't have any more specifics on the location and Gardaí aren't forthcoming with that information this morning. But what we know is it's unexplained circumstances and that a post-mortem will take place this morning by the state pathologist, Dr Margot Bolster. And after that, those results will determine the course of the Gardaí investigation here. Interesting, they're not telling us where just now for, I presume, operational reasons. So the body's still at the scene, is it, or has it been taken no, away the, yet? No, bo- the body has actually been taken from the scene and, and uh, taken to Cork University Hospital. He was pronounced dead at the scene and then, as I say, taken to Cork University Hospital. 
And once the results of that post-mortem are, are known, that will help the Gardaí then to, to decide where their investigation will go. And if we hear any more during the morning, I'm assuming we can come back to that. Now, a major drug seizure uh, last night as well, Moirid. There was. So Gardeev arrested a 32-year-old man for questioning and it's following the seizure of €300,000 worth of drugs and it was during a search of a house in, in the city last night. Now, I suppose the events leading up to this officer stopped and searched a man and he was cycling on Grattan Street yesterday evening and they found €6,000 worth of suspected cannabis herb on him. Now, he's originally from Douglas on the south side. He was arrested and Gardy then carried out a follow-up search of his rented flat on Winters Hill, which is in Sunday's Well, on the mm. north side. And they found around 15 kgs of suspected cannabis herb, and there's a street value there of around €300,000. Those drugs have been sent for analysis. They go to Forensic Science Ireland um, to confirm, I suppose, that, the, that they are the, the suspected cannabis herb. And uh, the man has been detained... Um, and it's under drugs trafficking legislation. So that would allow him to be to be held for up to seven days. And uh, he's been questioned currently at the Bridewell Guard station. Okay, so quite some time before the guards have to make any decision with regard to him. Absolutely. And if there is any, any change during the day in the situation in Mallow, I'm sure uh, you'll come back to us, Maurit. Absolutely, I will, of course. Thanks, PJ. Thank you for that. That's two investigations ongoing. One into that body in unexplained circumstances in Cork and then that major drug seizure and a man in custody. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. So yeah, what happened was at a public meeting in Mo in, in Gort, wasn't it Gort? Yes, in County Galway. Uh, Anne Rabbit, uh, the Minister for Disability, who's been on this programme before, and Kieran Cannon, uh, who has also been on the programme in a different capacity, Gort in County Galway. They were at a public meeting and a bag of excrement was thrown at them by a man in the crowd. Uh, and Rabbit tweeted, uh, attended a meeting tonight and a bag of SHIT thrown at me and my government colleague. Now, a man has come forward and said, yeah, I did that. I did that, uh, and someone had to do it. Someone had to send them a message. I'll tell you more about him in a minute. But uh, former TD, former senator and councillor now, uh, Dan Boyle, joins me. Dan, is this... I know the answer you're going to give me before I even ask the question. Is this ever acceptable? Morning. Morning, PJ. Uh, no, it's never acceptable. Um, it isn't new. Uh, I, I suppose what's worrying is that it, it, it kind of mirrors... A, a tendency amongst some people to be more angry and that angry to be misdirected. I mean, I, I can remember a dozen years ago, I was in an event where I, I had an ache thrown at me. Now, luckily, it, it, it missed. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the events aren't unusual. It, it's the the fact that they're becoming more frequent and they're becoming more intense. That's what's to worry about. And it, it, it's not the way we should be having public debate. Now, it's still a minority of people and most people are reasonable and understanding and they get the context of, of whatever is being discussed. For instance, this meeting in Gert uh, was about a, a biogas uh, uh, installation that was approved by Board Pernola which the two public representatives themselves disagreed with, along with many people in the room. 
but they were seen to be by the person who would be action as being part of the problem and being part of the people involved in the decision and would agree with the decision. So there's a kind of a, a political literacy that's lacking as well at the moment that we need to tackle because we shouldn't have this kind of tone informing uh, our democratic debates. Yeah. This man is uh, Joseph Baldwin. He's 38 years of age uh, from Gort. And he, he said... Uh, someone had to speak up to them it'll be forgotten in a couple of days there'll be something else somewhere else and that's the way the world works he wanted i assume dan to draw attention to the fact that there is opposition to this biogas facility and he's one of those opposing and he probably felt in his own mind that no one was going to listen to him if he stands up takes the microphone and shouts about it but throwing two bags of excrement on the floor in front of a couple of TDs, at least he gets noticed. Uh, well, I think it's a bit deeper than that. Apparently his father, who's passed away since, was a, a local government candidate himself uh, in recent elections. Uh, and uh, I, I, I noticed someone has pointed out to him that if his father had been elected and had been up on that platform, how would he feel if someone was doing that to him? But it's yeah. not the way to have any public debate. What was the point being made? Uh, what was the anger being expressed? Who was it being directed? How does it actually change the situation? These are the things we need to deal with in politics and, and you know, throwing bags of excrement doesn't do any of that Yeah, there have always been protests like you said, you had a, an egg thrown at you a number of years back, I remember being in, in City Hall and this the is going rat. back a few yeah. years the, the dead rat, exactly yeah. Yeah, I was in that room yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, not, not pleasant um, no. not pleasant at all but, but then, a lot of people are very angry they're hurting and they're looking at politicians and rightly or wrongly they're blaming them for the position in which they find themselves and they're angry and upset and frightened and then some of that is justified and some of that is the reasons why politics and politicians exist because you have to have the focus points for asking what is happening, why it's happening, is it happening right, is it happening wrong, and asking the hows and the whys. That's what a democracy in politics is all about. Uh, what, what I worry about, PJ, is that uh, is it proportionate, is it in context, is it informed? And sometimes it is, and, and that's why you get this spillover. This is that, that's sometimes you get this overreaction, and and what it does is it dilutes and it diminishes the people who have uh, the justified concerns and and the actions that aren't being taken. I mean, we can see it with our health system and any at the moment and stuff like that. Obviously, a bit of of resources. Obviously, questions of management and and, and very serious public concerns that need to be addressed. Uh, but what 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 being over angry, misdirected, and angry, and, and maybe hysterical uh, about something out of context does is it it takes our focus off the more important issues and the need to solve those. The question, of course, I guess, must be asked as well, Dan. If and and look, nobody was going to be harmed by what this man threw. But what if the next guy has a stone? And it hits you. Uh, or, or what we've seen in the UK, we've had two members of parliament in, in Britain who have lost their lives. In, Excellent point. Yeah, a, a stabbing and a shooting. <laughs> uh, and if, if anger is allowed 
to develop to that extent and people feel that anything they do to justify their anger uh, can and should be done and will be done, that's the dangerous territory you get into. And, and I, you know, I think the United States is another example of a society like that. We have advantages in our society. However bad particular issues are uh, and however dissatisfied people might feel with politics and politicians, Irish political parties, Irish politicians and independent members as well are probably the most accessible of, of any developed democracy in, in the Western world. Uh, and uh, there's a danger we lose that by uh, turning politicians into people who are not perceived by some of our population as not even being human. Uh, you know, politicians are elected people by other members of the public, and mm. they're going to get things wrong quite a lot of the time. They deserve criticism. They deserve some element of anger uh, expressed appropriately uh, directed towards them. But for the most part, they're good, decent people trying to do the best they can, and we should never lose scope of that. You're you're around the block a few years, Dan. Uh, does, I it make, does it make it harder? Does it make it harder to attract young people and particularly, I suspect, young women into politics? It is a huge problem, PJ. Uh, and uh, I, I suppose my own experience is that it, it can lead you to become uh, cynical, and it could lead you to. Uh, think that you know all these things in the world exist in any case there's not a lot you can do about it but uh, i i'm still a glass half full person i'm still optimistic uh, and uh, my fears my are exactly what you've just said you know, that you you need to bring as many people into the decision-making process as possible. You need to engage people in, in political life. You need to bring people with uh, new abilities and different talents in. And that's not going to happen if they feel that they are compromised by having constant criticism expressed inappropriately and being brought into dangerous situations. And that's particularly true uh, of young women, of which there is a huge deficit in our political structures. Okay, Dan, go look after whatever is ailing you. You certainly have a lurgy that's going around at the moment. Thanks for taking our call under those circumstances. That's Dan Boyle, uh, Councillor Dan Boyle of the Green Party, former Senator, former TD. Uh, John O'Donovan says there's a bloody big difference between throwing it on the ground and throwing it at them. There's a big difference between what most people think of straight away as faecal matter and of dried up dust. It's an accurate description, but the way this is reported and talked up by politicians was deliberately misleading. So am I thinking, John, are you suggesting, John, that it was okay what this man did at a public meeting? Hi, PJ, the SHIT really hit the fan here. That's a saying, not an action. Disgusting behaviour. What in God's name did he hope to achieve, says Burr. I don't agree with the... This is... Yeah, this came in when I was talking to Dan. I, I don't agree with the form of protest at all, but there are people out there that get their heads split open on Patrick Street and suffer life-changing injuries, and there isn't this bit of fuss about it. When something bad happens to one of them, i.e. politicians, we hear all about it. When the average guy gets a brain injury, he's a statistic. It's a point. It's an interesting point. In terms of bringing you into this conversation this morning, the, the man who did this is a, is a farmer. Uh, his name is Joseph Baldwin. He's 38 years old. His father, like Dan said, had previously attempted to enter local politics, and he just felt 
that he had to make his point, and this was the only way to make it about this controversial biogas facility. He said he wasn't concerned about the Ferrari. He was speaking to the Irish Independent. He said somebody had to speak up to them. It'll probably be forgotten about in two days. Something else will be done somewhere else, and that's the way the world works. What he threw were two Ziploc bags with what he said were cow dung inside in them. Um, and he just said that um, he had to make his point. Uh, Kieran Cannon said, all I could see was a plastic bag flying through the air. It fell maybe two rows short. Uh, Mr. Baldwin walked to the back of the room where Anne Rabbit was and threw the second bag uh, directly at her. Um, <laughs> people are angry, people are upset, uh, people are losing their homes, their, their relatives are stuck for hours on trolleys, days on trolleys. There's a lot of upset, a lot of anger, a lot of fear out there. Mortgages are going up through the roof. We'll be talking to Joy Sheehan later on this morning about the state of track of mortgages. People are frightened by many things. Is it okay? Was it okay? Is it ever okay for what that man did at the meeting the other night? None of them were hurt. Neither Deputy Cannon or Deputy Rabbit were hurt. That's true. There was no danger that a bag of poo will ever hurt anybody. But does it ever make it uh, okay to take action like this? It's Friday. Uh, it's, it's Little Women's Christmas as well. So happy Little Women's Christmas. Happy Nolignamon to our listeners. This came in to us from Katie. I want to drop you a mail, PJ, to discuss the pressure on young girls at the moment to get plastic surgery. I was speaking to the 19-year-old daughter of my friend over the Christmas. She said some of her friends were already getting lip and cheek fillers and she felt she should get some herself because, quote, her lips were too thin. She's a beautiful girl. She certainly doesn't need work. I'm in my late 30s myself, says Casey, and I completely understand that pressure. Almost all of my friends have had work done now and I'm beginning to feel like I look old. When I go out with them, each to their own. If women want to have work done, so be it. But I really do worry about the potential damage these 18 and 19-year-olds are doing to their young skin. If they're getting addicted to surgery now, what will their faces look like when they're in their 50s? I really wish we could go back to the good old days where women could just grow old gracefully and not have this societal pressure imposed on them by social media or by other women. I'll hold out for as long as I can, but I do fear I might have to bow to the pressure as I reach my 40s and 50s. I'm curious to know what listeners think. And like I said, that came in by email from Katie. And interestingly enough, Rachel Sarah Murphy was, was talking about this uh, on, on her own social media, uh, about you know being at a gathering of people and they're talking about Botox and the conversation developed into like, why, why would you do that? But also, why is it that children are not being told? I think it's a good point, Rachel. We're not telling our children, actually, that's not real. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, you, you age yourself. Your, your own age process is your own age process. But kids are seeing so much on social media about this. And you're worried about that effect. Morning, Rachel. Good morning, love. Um, I suppose I think we're all worried about the pressure that young people are feeling. Um, and it, it does come from social media. 
and it comes from uh, things like the Kardashians, you know, where we think, kids think that that's real, but it's not. Like, we don't have, um, well, people don't have their lips are not, are not naturally like that. Are you getting an echo like I am, PJ? No, I'm okay for you. For so you're okay. Just keep keep um, going, we're good. Yeah, and also, also it's that pressure to look perfect, but I also think monkey see, monkey do. You know, and I think it's the the pressure that it's on. Like I'm, I would be classed as an awful, say, a middle aged woman, but I'm a forty nine year old woman. So the pressure for me to look younger, to be youthful, like when we see people walk in the red carpet, the journalists put on, oh, she looks incredibly youthful. They said it about Jane Fonda not so long ago, which I put on my social. But Jane Fonda, you know, it's her choice, and it is everybody's choice. Your body, your choice. You do what the hell you want with it. It's your choice. And you don't have to explain it to anybody. But Jane Fonda openly says she's had plastic surgery. She has everything. But she, she likes to look younger. So she doesn't naturally look like that. She looks youthful because of... And it makes it glorifies plastic surgery, which is one of the big, it's big business in Hollywood. But also, you know, that's why, that's why when we see actors on the red carpet with their grey hair and with their wrinkles, everybody's shocked. They're all mm. shocked that they've allowed their hair to go green or it's started to go grey. But it's because we're shocked at, at them being natural and them being confident enough in themselves as women to say, you know, whoa, no, slow, slow down now. You know, my wrinkles, I like my wrinkles, my hair is grey, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with growing old, so stop putting the pressure on me to stay mm. young so you can make money. Because you start doing Botox, then, you know, you can't put Botox on your eyelids. Um, you can't, you can put Botox on your neck now, I suppose. You can't fix your hands. So it's like going into a house and painting the, the, a door, but not painting the architect. Or, you know, yeah. then you've got to do the skirting boards. It goes on and on and you're chasing your tail when really what you could do, which is what I've chosen to do, is you can work on lifestyle. So you can cut back on alcohol or cut it out. You can cut back on fast food or cut it out. You can start, like, I'm outside photo now. I'm just about to go in um, to do a sauna. I like saunas at the moment. Their they're, saunas are big at the moment for health um, and for anti-aging and for menopausal women. It's great for belly fat. So, you know, there are things you can do in your lifestyle that, that will help you to stay younger looking, if that's what you want to do, and keep you healthy. You don't have to inject yourself. It wasn't something I was comfortable with. And I think we should, we should as parents, be promoting to our children uh, that it's beautiful to grow old. It's a privilege to grow old. And the wrinkles I have, you know, it was one of the things when I did Botox that you know, made me sad was that I was freezing these wrinkles that have memories for me. And they're my wrinkles, and I like them, and I'm going to keep them. Yeah, yeah. Two women that come to mind. Jamie Lee Curtis was in the news recently, as you know, Rachel, um, telling us what we all knew for the last 30 years, um, that she's gay. But also, and a woman that I know you and I both have great admiration for, I, I love her, Maggie Smith. I mean, oh, when, when I get to Maggie's great age, and if anyone doesn't know who Maggie Smith is, it's the Dowager in Downton Abbey, that wonderful, wonderful woman. <laughs> if I get to her age, I'll be happy if I can stand up, for goodness sake. <laughs> and, she, and you see, and she's an actress. I remember sitting at a table, and this is what Fergo was telling you, I remember sitting at a table of actresses, and I remember that the whole Botox thing was coming out, and I, I was just very naive, um, and I said, 
I said, "How? who as an actress would get Botox? Why would you freeze your face when your face is, you know, that's expression, that's your character, yeah. And, yeah. and why would you do it? And I got a swift um, slap on the knee under the table and a, and a look to say, zip it. Um, and I, I looked at everybody in the table and I said, everybody make a frown. And everybody just looked at me and I said, no way. And everybody at that table had had Botox. So when I finished acting, I went and I, I got the Botox and I didn't like it. But there is money in wrinkles. A casting director cannot find a 55-year-old looking woman because they're all trying to look 45 because of the pressure that is put on them to, to look young. I mean, no matter how much Botox I get, PJ, if I decided to do it, or nip and tuck. I'm a 49-year-old woman. I'm never going to look like a 22-year-old fresh-faced girl. It's never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So Maggie Smith is amazing. Her, ro- her face is like a road map. And she's brilliant, and she works, and Judy Dench works, and Helen Mirren, tiny little bit of work, but she works. Like, yeah. I just feel that we should be embracing age, and like you say, being happy that we can actually just stand up. And Maggie can change an entire scene with the lift of an eyebrow. You can't if you're Botoxed. No, and you know she's tiny, Peaches. She's tiny. Like in some of the play, in Downton Abbey, she looks as if she's a really tall, strong woman. She's a tiny little thing. She's the most yeah. amazing actress that uses everything, her body, her face. She needs her expressions, and she hasn't, she hasn't let the media get to her. Mm. Come back to the youngsters, Rachel, and the effect this has on them, though. Looking at, let's call it what it is, looking at falsehood. You mentioned the Kardashians. There's more rubber and plastic in there than there is in the average insulation in your loft. Right? <laughs> and kids are looking at this. The Kardashianization of the world. Do you worry about it? As, I mean, as a mother of a daughter, do you worry about it? I know, exactly. My little one. I do worry about it, but, but you know, we just laugh at it. We see monkey see, monkey do. So... I, as a parent, have to put in, uh, you know, good, good thoughts into our mind, not that this is not real. And also these people, you know, now I'm talking about the extreme, the extreme where you go to the extreme to try to, you're, you're trying to, to do something that's going to make you feel better about yourself. Because you look in the mirror and it's true. When you look in the mirror, it can change your day. But, but these people... I've gotten so deep into it, chasing their tails. It's like going into the property and painting the door and leaving the, the skirting boards. That they've kept kept going back and back and back until they've ruined themselves. And these girls think that their lives are perfect, that they're happy. They're not happy. We know that. Uh, we know that because relationships aren't working. They're too, and it's because of other things that are going on in their lives. But but the plastic surgery is not fixing them. What, what mm. could fix them is their lifestyle and their confidence. But I really feel as parents, we have to promote that there is nothing wrong with the aging process. And you do not need to have bigger lips or bigger boobs or, or whatever, or be a size, a size six or a size whatever, a zero. I think Victoria Beckham was promoting at one stage. You know, yes. you, you just have to be confident about who you are. And you are is wonderful. You don't have to be somebody else. We already have a Kardashian, but we don't have a you. So we want a you. So just be confident. Be you because you're perfect. Be exactly who you are. It's a, I guess it's like having a car in the drive, Rachel, and you can paint it and wax it and shine it and make it look fantastic. But sure, lift up the bonnet and the clutch is past it uh, and the engine could do with a service. So realistically, you've got to let the car age. 
But you see, you do. And what you should be focusing on, I think, especially for women, I think for women especially, because we get into bad habits, you know, um, at different stages in our lives of parenting or, you know, loneliness and boredom and stuff like that. We get into bad habits of not eating right or maybe drinking, you know, every night of the week, maybe coming home from work because we see that that's norm on movies and stuff. And I think what we really need to tackle is lifestyle. And if we spent more time focusing on our lifestyle instead of the way we look to the world, we'll look beautiful. Because if you focus on lifestyle, it does help you, you know, to stay younger and, and healthier and more vibrant. Your skin is glowing. So I think we we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on what the media wants us to focus on because they get paid advertising from these big companies. And what we need to be focusing is on our mental health and our well-being and our lifestyle choices. Kate says here, there's, have you ever seen Botox being done? There's all injections and the face is being squeezed and there's blood everywhere. You've had, had it, it done. done. I've had yeah. it done three times. I got it done when I left Fair City to be a rebel because I was rebelling against it all. And it was fine. I was way too young for it. I think it was only 40, 42, 43. And then I got it done again. And I found the freezing of the face quite scary. And then I went a third time to get it done and I couldn't move my face at all. And I said, okay, now that's it. Um, and I got it, that was over a five year period. And it, and it wasn't. Botox is not dangerous, by the way. It, it is not dangerous. And, you know, for some people they like it. And, and, and like I say, your choice, your body, your choice. It's just not my mm. choice. But it is not a, a gory thing. It doesn't hurt. You don't bleed a lot at all. It's completely safe. I've chosen to do laser instead, so I go to Leslie Barrett in the skin clinic in Cork. I've gone to her for years. I promote mm. her on my on my social, Leslie's at this year, and I get my laser done once or twice a year. And yeah. then, you know, but but it, it is a personal choice. I wouldn't, um, I, it's not it's not dangerous, and it's yeah. definitely not scary to do. Right. And it's not something that you, we let our children get into because they're young and they're perfect, and we need to let them be themselves. Well, what Rachel, was that what was that saying in, in Bridget Jones' diary when he said to her, You're, I like you just as you are. You are yeah. perfect just as you are. Yeah, and the song that Billy Joel had a hit with, Just the Way You Are. All right, let's go with it. Rachel, thank you very much. Rachel, Sarah Murphy, your thoughts, very welcome here. Have you had Botox? Do you know, have you had it? Have you tried it? Why? Men and women, because I know both, both men and women have it. Why? Why would you? Why, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to in, inject poison into your face to look a bit younger? Hey, listen, don't get me wrong. I know people who do it, and you say to them, "Well, well, why did you do that?" The can smile, laugh. Listen and win. A year to remember. Live free in 23. Is coming. Spending money, money. Get all the details with Casey and Ross. Monday at 8.15 a.m. Only on Cork's 96FM. Now, there's a job on this weekend in, I think, most houses. Tonight is 12th night, Nulligdemon, January 6th, the last night you have 
decorations on. Never in my house is the last of the lights down before the 6th. I took one Christmas tree down during the week and I got so depressed when I had it down and bagged and packed it. I couldn't touch another one. And then, of course, we've not been very well in this house, so there wasn't the energy to take the stuff down and declutter. But they've got to come down this weekend. Every corner of the house is stuffed with decorations, toys, presents and wrapping paper left in piles. There's empty roses, boxes everywhere. If you've had toddlers, they're probably drawn on the walls. Basically, the house looks like someone drove through it in reverse. And we're all thinking, where do I start? Of course, if you go to TikTok or any one of those other places at the moment, you'll find decluttering the big buzzword. I prefer to call it tidying. Uh, Anne-Marie Kingston runs White Sage Decluttering in Tonakilty. Also, congratulations, Anne-Marie, the new uh, president of Network West Cork. It is an awful task. We have to try and get the house ship-shape after Christmas. Where on earth do we start? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and Happy New Year to you and all your listeners this morning. Thank you, and to you, and, and same to you. And again, absolutely, where do we start? I'd always say start... What people usually do and what they don't see the transformations as fast is they start dipping into different rooms. I'd always say stick to one area of the home, PJ, uh, because that's where you're going to see the most impact. Now, obviously, first of all, as you mentioned when uh, in your opening, uh, 6th of January is the time for many who are delighted or maybe might be looking forward to taking down the Christmas decorations. But start, obviously with the Christmas trees so I'd always start like with the Christmas bubbles and go through again like there's obviously Christmas bubbles that went up maybe in the storage box that didn't go out this year start culling out I'd always say if there's something coming into the house something has to go back out because otherwise this is where the overwhelm builds up over over time so go through the bubbles again if they're broken let them go if there's lights broken that you haven't used in the last say, two Christmases maybe you're ready to let go and your case as well change, PJ. So like our styles change, uh, the interiors, and sometimes the bubbles mightn't go with your interiors, and everyone is different. So definitely start there with the Christmas decorations. Start going through, as you mentioned, again, putting all the wrapping paper together, grouping everything. Like a simple tip even for the lights. And, and we, a lot of people collect Christmas decorations. My wife, for example, yeah. we both do. But she in particular loves to collect Christmas decorations. The house is full of nutcrackers, for example. Yeah. And every one of them is loved. Many of them are old and battered. But, yeah. ma- but every one of them is loved. It's hard to make that decision, isn't it? It is hard because, again, clutter is personal, as you mentioned there, to us all personally. It's different to everyone. Some people are very sentimental, while other people have, might have very little attachment. Just remember that surround the stuff with things that you love. Not that, and that's the thing with clutter. Clutter is negative energy. So if you use items that kind of say, oh, God, I, I don't like that, but I have to display it because my auntie Mary or someone gave it to me. Maybe it's time to let it go. But definitely start, I'd always say with the Christmas decorations, when you're bringing down the Christmas tree, literally bring all your Christmas stuff down from your attic. And that's where you really start, like, you're starting really kind of in, say, November, December, bringing everything down, seeing exactly what you want. I've gone into homes over the years, PJ, with my work, and there could be 20, no word will I, 20, 30 cribs, because they can't find the first one. And again, their taste change, or they would have picked up one, or there's one hidden in the corner of around the um, 
chimney breast above in the attic, pull literally everything down and see exactly what you have. And that's where then when you're going out, when you are going out shopping or if you're looking for like a new nutcracker to your collection, see exactly where you're missing. You'll see where there's a gap in the decorations and that's right through the house as well. So that's yeah. where then you start culling and that you can add then to your collection. Yeah. In in terms of taking the stuff down and clearing it away, I'm a fan of room by room. Start yeah. one room, finish yeah. that room, move Absolutely. on. Otherwise otherwise you're looking at too much in, in, in one go. Too much, absolutely. I'd always say stick with it. Like even if and I know some like people can get very distracted inside there, but even if it's only setting your phone for ten or fifteen minutes, PJ seeing exactly like you know you'd be surprised after 10 or 15 minutes I know if I have a deadline for a paper article or something to do I'd set my phone for 10 or 15 minutes before you know what you have you know you have 30 minutes you'll build that time up and you'll have an hour two hours done because you have the focus on and that's very powerful when you have the focus on we can take on the world really it's when we get distracted and the phone rings or someone calls and sometimes the distraction can be handy because we're just not in that, we're not in that focus, we're not in that um, mindset for it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be in the mood for it. Fiona was in touch to us, uh, Anne-Marie, she says, PJ, I can no longer walk in my attic. It's a health hazard, yeah. stuffed yeah. to the brim with old toys, old clothes, old buggies. It causes me anxiety. I need yeah. a skip. That's and hoarding. Say, yeah, and that's, it is. Like, I suppose, I look... It's like everything. I've done so many attics over 2022, which is unreal, the amount of attics I've decluttered. And again, it's everything goes up into the attic, PJ. Even during COVID, like, it's out of sight, out of mind. And if we don't use it, I'd say if we don't use it there and then, 12 to 18 months is kind of the deadline. Now, you'd have the exceptions, obviously, if you have kids, maybe you're passing down, say, clothes, or it could be the toddler bed that you don't need for another stage, um, for another few months or whatever. But once you're finished with it, let it go. Yeah. Really sentiment is different. I mean, if, if many things have sentimental attachment, particularly for someone who might be gone, mm-hmm. for Agnes' sake, you know. Yeah. And, and it's, it's uh, I, you're, you're completely right. You should dump it. But I imagine I'm speaking here of many, many parents. Mm-hmm. Now, they still have their children's school books. Their children yeah. are 30. I know. Throw out the damn school books. But you can't, can you? You can't. And, like, again, it's a process. This is the thing with decluttering, PJ. It's not, it doesn't just, like, start and stop. It's continuous. It's a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly process. You have to keep at it. That's the thing. I always compare decluttering to, like, an onion. You're literally peeling the layers back. Because every time you go back, you let something else go. And, again, like, I'd always say, just a tip for your listeners this morning, is when, like, when it comes to school books, what I do, and I used to be that person, with two kids, I have a nine, seven, and a 21-month-old. But, like, I would put those school books up into the attic, and then I'd let them go maybe a year, a year later. But what I'm doing now, literally, when the school finishes, at the end of June, I'm going through the workbooks. If, the, if I'll keep, obviously, like, the scrapbooks and bits and pieces. But the workbooks, straight away, I'm recycling them. You see, otherwise, we're only adding to the clutter that's there already. And that's Interesting call. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting call that's come in there, Anne-Marie. I have a problem with defining what is clutter. If you have the right storage, it isn't clutter. So when is something clutter, and when is it just stuff you don't have the right storage for? Which is a good point. Very good question. So what clutter is, clutter is items that doesn't serve us. We have not used it in the last 12 to 18 months. 
Now that obviously there'll be exceptions, for example, like the funeral clothes, the occasional, the ball gowns, different items like that, the Christmas platters that come out ever so often um, or every year. So like really and truly, it's what haven't you used in the last 12 to 18 months. Now you have um, touched already on sentimental items, but I'd always put sentimental items that you don't need to put on display into a nice keepsake box. Storage box doesn't have to be anything fancy, but it's grouped together. I'm all about grouping things together. And you see, the thing is with houses, what I see as well with, with clients that I work with is there's too much storage. See, the more storage we have in the home, the more clutter we will spill in there because it's out of sight, out of mind. So less storage. The key is really to utilise your existing storage to its max. There is plenty of storage in every house. But what happens is we're buying extra storage boxes. We're, we're buying extra see um, sideboards storage units that will and that absolutely fills overflows that's the problem it overflows with more clutter my, my dad God rest him used to say ah yeah more room for rubbish yeah absolutely yeah we need to Unless define what is yeah. PJ I have five adult kids says this message none of them live with me they all have their own houses and they've all got their crap up in my attic I've asked them for years to go up and clear it and they won't do it for me I'm not doing it for them I refuse to do their dirty work maybe when I pass away and they have to sell the house they won't be long clearing the attic that's from John but I mean if your adult children are living outside the house get a skip throw their stuff out yeah and I'd always say look this is where I suppose there's borderline with it, PJ. I'd always say, like, skip is really, the rela- in my eyes, the, the last um, resort. But I'd say if the, if the grown, grown adults have moved out, just say, look, and I'm working with clients at the moment who are in this situation, they're literally drip-feeding drip it back to them because none of the young people have clutter in their house. But they, you have to sort it now because this is where regret will come in that, look, man, threw out the stuff and I really wanted to keep it. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is responsible for it. We're yeah. all responsible for the clutter in the house. Come back to what you said there about a skip, because one thing we have done a couple of times over the years, um, I reckon we've, we're here now since 2004 in this house, and outside of building and refurbishing and things like that, yeah. we've got, on a couple of occasions we've gone and we've got one of those small skip bags. Oh, skip bags, and yeah. We've, and we've left it in the drive for maybe a month. And we've just thrown every piece of unused rubbish that we want rid of into it. It's very cathartic and it's very handy, but you say skip is a last resort. I would say it's grand for... I've had a few um, areas that I have had to get in skips. Um, again, if, we're not, if you're not located near the recycling centre, I'm very good for and good advocate for reusing and recycling, to be quite honest. Yes. I'm very on about sustainability. So, like, I, the skips are grand and handy, like, for rubbish, rubbish. But I find that there's good stuff going into skips. And that's the thing. Um, like, there's a home for everything. Like, when I take away my client's clutter from each of the sessions, I, I support the local charity shops in Santa Kilty, where I'm living. Um, and then if there's any items that are in good condition, I'll get them up on the free page in Santa Kilty and get them used. There's a lot of unnecessary stuff being dumped that is in perfect good condition. Like I had my buggy that I couldn't sell and my travel cart um, that served my three kids over the last 10 years. And sure. like my buggy ended up going to um, the Ukraine and there was the Rakatash part went to the Cork Pity Dinners. That's what I'm that's all about. Like yeah, really there's, there's people point. out there who will really value and will get use out of them.
I go into, a... into recycling centres. There's absolutely par, and I'm, I'm they're lucky I'm not pulling stuff out. There's absolutely beautiful buggies and being thrown in there. That that's some that's of a the very good point. Devices. That's an excellent point. Lastly, and, and briefly, um, with regard to food, because we all know that the fridge freezer at this yes. stage, the fridge freezer looks like a Mostly. war zone. <laughs> it yeah. does like... Well, where it do does. you start? I'd say start decluttering this, like and I'm even doing it myself at the moment. Start decluttering the meat and start using up the meat and the veg and all the bits and pieces. Um, for the next few weeks and months, declutter the fridge and freezer. Before, don't go off buying more meat and adding to it start decluttering from there in and that's where you're going to save yourself time, money and energy straight away. Declutter first at home and then when you run low that's where you're stocking up again and you're making up your shopping list and going shopping and topping it up. Right. I'll leave it there for now because uh, we're running out of time. Anne-Marie Kingston from White Sage Decluttering Clonakilty. Thanks, Anne-Marie. It's, 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 it's a nightmare cleaning up the January junk. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Call 96. I'm going to come back to the politicians having bags of cow dung thrown at them in a minute. Quite a lot of response to that. I must say I'm a little bit shocked at the level of, ah, they need to get over themselves. I, I really am. I, it's, that's, that's, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. Uh, I don't like it. I'll come back to it and you'll you'll hear what I'm talking about in a wee while. 0818 96 96 96, the number. Staying, though, with decluttering for a little bit on this Friday morning when we all have to kind of look at the state of the house after Christmas and do something about it. And we got some good advice from Anne-Marie Kingston before the news, particularly with regard to the, the Christmas tree and the Christmas decorations and what's left of them and the toys and the boxes and the stuff that's on the floor and the half-eaten boxes of chocolates that are Everywhere, room by room, room by room. And what we do is we go and we get two big rolls of bin bags and just pack them in each room. And then when every room is done, we head for the attic to Christmas Corner, which over the last number of years has turned into Christmas Avenue. It takes up all one side of the attic, pretty much all one side of the attic. And we just pack in what we can pack in. And yes, we do buy more storage containers every year. And we do buy more boxes, more helium ones. And It'll be a fairly difficult weekend, but sure we'll get through it, hopefully, without killing one another. 0818 96 96 96. But we did talk about sentimental stuff, okay? Uh, stuff that you're sitting in the attic trying to clear the attic. You know that there's swathes of rubbish in there, but you, you can't, you just can't bring yourself to throw it out. And Elmery, uh, from the Arts House, our own Elmery, we were posting about this yesterday on, on her social. Surrounded by stuff, Elmarie, that is pure junk, but you just can't let it go. Morning. Oh, wait, 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 wait there now, PJ. One minute. One. <laughs> Who says it's junk? <laughs> it's First junk. junk. Now get away out of that. Now, this is funny, actually, because I had no idea you were going to talk about this this morning. And when I was... Uh, 
actually back on track, hooked up to the chemo yesterday and I was scrolling away through Pinterest and this particular post came up uh, in my feed because my whole feed at the minute is full of January, New Year's resolutions, tidying, clearing up and all that sort of stuff. And the the post came up, um, what to do with sentimental clutter. And I immediately clicked on it because it's something that I've been kind of not grappling with, but kind of tentatively tiptoeing around with about the last two to three weeks and in that time I had put up one or two posts on Facebook where as a teacher I mean I have kept every single card practically that a child ever gave me at Christmas or at the end of the year and cards from their parents oh my god yes like you know I'm Teacher presence and everything like that brings up a, an annual argument about the pressure on parents buying gifts and things like that for teachers. And you know, teachers will always say, like, presents are lovely and people who go to that bother are just incredible. And, you know, there's no but, need Henry, for what do you but do with cards, Yankee Oh, the cards. Listen, I'm not talking about candles now. I'm talking about the cards that I have been opening in the last couple of weeks as I've been going through boxes and boxes. And I remember every single child that wrote a card and some of them have just made me howl with laughter, reading Mm. what kids would have written in cards. Uh, And some just like bring a lump to your throat. I remember every single child, some of them are gone well through primary, they're finished secondary, gone into college and some of them are even married at this stage. And I loved reading all those cards again over the last couple of weeks and what I did was I started taking photographs of some of them and sending a note to those parents saying this is coming up in my tidying and thinking of you all blah 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 and you know for those parents for whom I might have a personal number or something like that um and I'm 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 a sentimental one of the articles or one of the terms that came up in that article that I found on Pinterest yesterday gave me a word that I immediately latched onto for myself and I decided I'm not a hoarder I am a sentimental keeper. And there's a difference in that. And I think Anne-Marie kind of touched on it as well a little bit when she was chatting to you there before. Um, The sentimental stuff is very hard to let go of. Now, I've been going through an awful lot of, oh, let me tell you, other boxes now. Pay slips going back to 2002. Bank statements Ah, going back like 10. I know, I know. Listen, just dealing with those, though, involves having a shredder at hand and dealing with them at the time. And I just ended up gathering them. So I have been ruthless with all of that kind of stuff now. And, you know, getting better at organizing my recycling bins and my shredding piles and that kind of stuff. Um, And that to me is clutter. But the sentimental stuff isn't Mm. clutter. But I, I do know there was things in that article and I shared it on my Facebook page yesterday that did resonate. And there was one kind of um, quote that was referred to in a TED talk, which talked about the advice to parents would be quite a lot. I can understand what Anne-Marie said about throwing out the workbooks. Get rid of the workbooks. You know, they've served their purpose. They cost a bomb. It's insane how much they cost and all the rest of it, but they've served their purpose. I have my own um, sentimental keeping is I kept uh, a copy that I would have written in when I was, I don't know, junior infants or senior infants, our news. And I just think it's hilarious reading back, you know, our news, Mandy yeah. has new blue shoes, you know, <laughs> Merlin has a baby brother. And, you know, all of those things are doughty. But I will never throw that copy out. I will never, ever throw that copy out. Really? And it's funny, was, we, we yeah, were up in the another... attic, yeah, t- t- tidying up our own attic. And you, you, you'll identify with this, you know, I mean, as a, as a teacher, like we have with this big bag of, of stuff. And I said, what's, what's in that? And herself opened it up, and there's copy books from the children, and one one was my my, my daughter's 
um, English writing book. Now, Gemma's 25. She wrote this stuff when she was seven. Bin, I say. Bin. Yeah. No, 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 because that's exactly leading into what I was leading on to. There was a piece in that which referred to a TED Talk, which was talking about um, particularly parents and especially mums, right, where you have a child's artwork and the advice from some people would be take photographs of the artwork or take photographs of it and whatever. And how a lot of mums just don't feel that that's the same because we attach kind of the essence of a person sometimes to the object and mm. that mums in particular feel fierce guilt. And they had a, another study where they had two groups of mums, one of whom had no problem kind of throwing things out and the other set of mums who had huge problems throwing things out. But each set, whether they found the throwing away or the easy or not, each of them felt guilt about the throwing away. And I think it's probably just not letting ourselves sit and have enough time to enjoy or go through the emotion that we attach to each thing. Like I started attacking the utility room in our house, which has kind of gone like a little bit of a happy dumping ground. And if the utility room is kind of faltering. Everything else in the house starts kind of backing up. So I said, okay, that's it. I need clear counter space and all that kind of stuff. Because PJ, like half the country, didn't we get the air fryer last year? And so that had to find a place on the counter because you're not going to be lobbing that in and out of the cupboard every time. And so things kind of end up... Um, backing up and sure didn't I end up finding utensils that I had bought duplicates of so like when Anne-Marie said clutter is expensive that's true if you can't find <laughs> something you need you go off you and you buy it again you know and that's that's so true but the other side of it then is like you compare our kind of culture of um, every shop you go into now has storage boxes you know this time of year because we're all at the same thing but if you look at people like the Scandinavians they don't have the same culture of materialism and they don't have the same culture of storage in their homes. Like we're constantly looking at every um, home improvement home. And one of the first things everyone has to put in is we need more storage and there's more cupboards. Yeah. And Anne-Marie yeah. was dead right. The more cupboards you have, the more you will fill with them. It's so, so true. Like I wouldn't let Connor put a shed in the garden <laughs> because I knew, never mind the lawnmower, I'd have it filled with stuff in, <laughs> in two yeah. weeks, yeah. you know. Yeah, but, and, and, you noted as well books. Now, look, I would be like you. Oh my with God! Books. I the, the attic is full of books, long read, long mm. since read, and they're not going to be read again. Yeah. But I don't depart with them. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. And like, and I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CDs. And now that we have a record player, with the last number of years, we're getting more and more vinyl. So books are being moved over and kind of double stacking on shelves to try and make room for records. And uh, like, there's there's all of that, you know. Um, and I'm loath to throw them out. And I have school books and books I've gathered for every level of class that I ever had. And half of my school stuff is here at home, especially when we were uh, working from home in lockdown and things that I I still haven't uh, taken back to school. Isn't that the way of it, though? You know, I would, I would never part yeah. with books. I mean, I've I tried to collect more of them, and I have a Kindle to read things on, but there's nothing yes. like actually holding a book in your hand. I remember when we got married first, we were renting, oh, my God, PJ, the most amazing house. A lot of people in Toker will know exactly where I'm talking about when I say Firm Bon. If you went up to the top of Sarsfields Road and turned left immediately, mm. almost on the right-hand side, there was an old farmhouse there, stunning house, L-shaped real lead latticed windows mm. it had actually believe it or not um, a fully thatched cottage 
that backed out onto the road. Only the cottage had had a corrugated tin roof thrown over to protect the tap thatch. And over the decades, ivy and everything had grown over that. And you'd never see it from the road. And I always thought it would make the most amazing artist studios because it was bone dry on the inside and everything. That mm. was full of beds, boxes and junk from everyone who'd ever rented the house over decades. It was all in perfect condition and everything like that. But the house was... Um, the house was sold after the lady who owned it died and everything in it was practically left intact. And the guards in Toker called us one day and they said, are you Connor Tallon and do you own Fanbon? And it just happened that paperwork with our address on it had kind of still made its way there in between us leaving and moving into uh, our house, you know, the kind of a yeah. changeover of bills. So we got permission from the guards to go and collect the paperwork that was there. All of that paperwork is still here in our house. Ah, yeah. years later I know and but we also found for example books that my father-in-law had actually left behind which we didn't know so we were very glad to get our hands on them and then yeah. there was one room now this is probably going off on a slight tangent but I'll try and make it really short the lady who owned the house um, moved to London for um, the last I suppose half of her life but she had kept one sitting room downstairs and one bedroom upstairs locked and they were only ever opened when she came home every summer to visit the house to pay the gardener and to see the things that she had kept all of those years for sentimental Crikey. reasons. So all her mother's bedspreads, pillowcases, <laughs> laces, doilies, pictures, they were all in the bedroom upstairs. Downstairs, the little sitting room had the most amazing collection of old books. And when we went back to the house and the guards had told us we could go in, we told them what day we would be there and everything. Um, I didn't feel I had the right to move or take any yeah. of those books. Wasn't your and I, stuff. I wrote, it wasn't my stuff, but God almighty, it killed me to see the state of the place. We had been called because there had been a break-in and someone had tried to start a fire and all that kind of thing. Hmm. And I, I just thought, oh my God, if there is a fire, they'll be gone. So I did write a letter to the estate agent at the time that was that had handled the sale and said, look, if the books are being sold, I'd like first refusal. If they're being thrown out, I'd like to take them. And I never heard anything back. And of course, subsequently, there was another, you know, teenagers or whatever kind of got in one yeah, night yeah. and there was another fire and they all went up in smoke. And the inevitable day, happened. The fact that I don't have enough room in my own house for the books that I have is still not overriding the fact that I would have given anything to take those books with me had I thought for a second that would have been their fate. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm an unashamed sentimentalist, but I am ah, rejecting yeah. ah. the title of hoarder, PJ. I'm keeping <laughs> the title of sentimental come, keeper. Come here before I jump to it to another call. How are you, sweetheart? I'm grand. I am um, flying away through the chemo. Um, I had a scan after the third round and they're happy with the kind of reduction in the cancer spread that was there that they couldn't get out in surgery. So I'm over the moon with that. Small blip there with COVID at Christmas, back on track since yesterday. Delighted with myself. Good for you. Love to everybody from the radio family. All right. Yay. Thanks, BJ. Talk to you soon. Cheers, Elmery. That's Elmery Ma from the Arts House on Cork's 96FM and an unashamed keeper of sentimental things. Linda Kenny, are you the same? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm all right. Do you, do you keep old programs and old song sheets and old bits of music? And do you? Um, no. Do you know, <clears throat> my mother did actually, I was thinking about you when you were saying about the attic. She did give me a huge bag um, of clippings and stuff from my childhood. 
which I was thinking, oh my God, like where am I going to put this now up into the attic? But I did go through it and it was lovely to go through it. Um, Yes, I am a bit of a hoarder, but I'll be honest with you, um, I was writing an article on Vera Kyohan, who is a a Marie Kondo um, decluttering expert, enjoy your home is the name of her company. And I was doing a little um, article on her and she was saying, look, I think the best way of you understanding what I do is that I like help you. So she said, pick a space. So my landing, I'm sure like a lot of other people's houses is like the landing space for all the crap that gets taken up from upstairs. And we had another little spot in another room. And every time I would go into the room, it actually, I felt so irritated because it was just, you know, when you have a a space that people just dump in, the the lack of kind of respect for that space becomes so, sort of infectious mm. and everyone just leaves their crap there then. And so I said, look, these are my two spaces. And she, the, the logic with which she kind of compartmentalized all the stuff and the speed with which she did it and the way in which she kind of made me address it. It was like, you know, if you were doing... Um, an exam and someone said, what, you, what about this and what about... And, and I kind of made gut reaction decisions in the moment that were very yeah. clear cut because I think when... I tried to do a lot of this thing myself afterwards and I, I just found that, you know, I had these moments of, Linda, do you really want to leave that go? Uh, and where would you put that now? Whereas when you have someone kind of giving you a little bit of a, a, a nudge, not a push, a nudge, it actually makes the process a very um, uh, seamless process. Are, are, uh, are you not there saying to them, well, you know what, to you, that's a sheet of music no, to me? No, 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 no. I'm telling you, like I had those moments in that split second. I actually, uh, uh, first of all, let me say, when we finished the two spaces, which were done in very short space of time, I actually thought the whole landing looked fairly alien because there was nothing on it. And I, I couldn't believe how well I slept that night. It was like as if someone had uncaught. Oh, my God. You The, the amount of... It's 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 incredible the transformative effect it had on me when I opened my bedroom door and I walked out to a landing that was free of clutter and then I went we actually reclaimed that front bed uh, front room downstairs that had been full of clutter now we use it all the time and and at night when you just want to put it back together it takes one minute to put it back together um and so I just thought it was amazing and I actually gave myself the gift of three sessions with Vera afterwards. Because she was saying that, you know, sometimes people bring her in and they, to do the kitchen and very often you find that things that are in the kitchen should should be in the utility room and things that are in the utility room should be in the garden shed. And I was thinking, that's so logical. So I had decided I'd get her in for the utility room and then I said, no, I'll get her in for the utility room and the kitchen. And, and, and um, so I actually got her in for three sessions and oh my gosh. Now I will say there is a moment of intense pain when you take out all the... So you're talking about duplicates when you duplicate things like you can't find the cleaner so you buy more cleaner. Well when we took out all the stuff that actually existed under my sink for example, (laughs) you couldn't even imagine you couldn't even imagine how long the snake of, of products was on my counter. And so she, there's a moment where she brings all stuff out of your press on top of your presses and puts them on the counter. Now that is a painful moment. I'm not going to mm. lie. 
it's kind of the tipping point moment, right? Where you're there and you're going, now I could have got to that stage myself and then someone would say, can you pick up blah, blah, blah and I'd have to leave it all and then you'd be tiptoeing around it for days because you wouldn't have a chance to get back to it. When you give yourself that moment to say, well, look, today is the day I make decisions. She did my kitchen with me and I can tell you now, we as a family have benefited enormously even in that space. That space was a great space for it's a big entertaining room and when people would come to our house all the spaces with the clutter I literally would go around with a shopping bag and shove all the stuff into the shopping oh, bag yeah. then oh, bring them yeah. out to the utility room where I'd hide them and my <laughs> husband would go oh my god because it would take weeks for you to get to that shopping bag because you knew it was only rubbish anyway but now things have a place and I think that's the most important thing things have a place so I like there were spaces now that didn't get the Vera magic and I'm actually going to get her back to do another three sessions Um, but I do do believe that the attic is the kind of Oh, is the is the tipping point in our house now because you know there are things once once you once you bring people things up to the landing right now there isn't a place for them to go when I get her to do upstairs that's that's going to clear that landing space completely forever uh, but I do feel think? that I do actually because it's working <laughs> downstairs and I even bought I even went so far as to buy a little labeler and I bought a little carousel for all the sauces in the fridge and they put a little label on little I bought all these containers and so I have a label for cheese and there's a space and the cheese goes back into that because I'm in a house of boys and boys mm. love they love to have the space and for me it has made a huge difference to my life I definitely I, I feel that and my husband came in at one stage um, while we were doing the kitchen and of course I was being a little bit clinical I was making very clinical decisions and he was going hold on a second what about this and I will say this that really and truly that if you get a declutter like Vera who is absolutely exceptional if you get a declutter it's not about like Mark was saying to me afterwards is it like about just getting rid of everything it's not she actually says keep things that spark joy but like mm. have a space for them put them somewhere and and I think for me anyway what I have now is a functioning space and like uh, we're so busy in our house Grand Central Station doesn't even cover it that mm. having something that functions like that actually helps your well-being it actually helps well it helps me anyway I can tell well, you that it's funny that you should say that Linda because one thing that I've noticed myself over the years is that at night I cannot go to bed on a dirty kitchen. Yeah. And I will spend the evening. I've done this. My wife will tell you. I've done this at four in the morning. Well, I understand this. I understand you know? this. Yeah. But you do, I, I do think you really need everyone to kind of buy into the process. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, for me, there was an element of, like, we, we started doing that then, you know, at night. You know, like when you do a bit of washing up and you leave it on the side of the counter, if you remove that in the morning and there's no clutter in that space, people tend to keep it clean. If there's clutter there, people tend to add to the clutter. That's what I found in our house. I'm not I'm not preaching to other people. I'm just saying what has worked for us. And, oh, and right. definite, definitely there's intelligence in the system. You know, like now... You know, even when, when all the clutter came down, I remember all the clutter from the utility room. Oh, my God. What what Vera was doing 
as she was taking the clutter down, she was putting them into little bundles. Even in that moment, you could see, oh, oh. And now in my utility room, I have containers that say bulbs. <laughs> and I have containers <laughs> that says batteries. And, and you know, so now if I have a bulb or if I need a bulb, I go to the bulb spot because I didn't have a bulb spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> there were bulbs in a kind of general area and now it's actually organised. I'm not saying if you walk into my house that you won't find clutter. You 100% will. Um, but I'm saying that it can be restored very quickly because there's a space yeah. for places. You, you know what I mean? You, if you have a system. My, my wife is big on that, actually. If you have yeah. a system, try to stick to the system and then once the, there'll always be a little bit of chaos but if you yeah. try to reorganise the chaos into the system, it'll work. Linda, good talking to you. Thanks. But you said the last one, you said you slept better when the I place did. was tidy. I had okay. mental freedom. It's like as if I was stuck. I'm not kidding. You know, can you imagine? It's it's like as if there was a dam outside your bedroom, and you walked out to the you walk out of your bedroom, and there's there's clear space. Yeah. It's like as if someone cleared your mental space. Do you know what I mean? Because that, 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 that is that is why they call it a landing. Everything lands there. <laughs> there you go. One hundred percent. But listen, <laughs> the best gift I ever gave myself. I can't actually stress that the best gift I ever gave myself. Happy New Year to you, and Happy New Year to all your listeners. It's been great talking to you. And you too, Linda. Thank you very much. That's uh, musician and singer Linda Kenny. Thanks. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety. I just want to jump on the bit she said there in the middle a couple of times. Do you sleep better if the place is tidy? Can you relax better if the place is tidy? Are you someone who walks in and said, "Right, I, I have got to clean this kitchen. I have got to clean this front room. I actually cannot sit and watch Netflix until I clean this room." I'm not, by the way. I do like the kitchen clean. That's that's the thing with me. I, I do like because we have a nice white and grey kitchen and it cleans quickly and it cleans easy and it cleans well and I cannot go through it and not want to clean it. But the rest of it, oh no, I'd sit there, I'd sit there surrounded by junk and watch telly. But Linda make that point. Did you sleep better? When the place is tidy. There are some big delays on the south ring at the moment. All traffic is stopped. Uh, thanks for that, says Donald. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. Yeah, that thing about tidying and keeping the house decluttered. Do you sleep better? Is the house a more relaxed place if it is a little bit tidy? Or can you walk over junk and just say, ah, not my junk. It's grand. I'm fine. Close the door on it. You know, the, the other way with the bedroom. Right? Someone's bedroom is like a war zone. And my solution, I'll be honest with you, and the solution of the owner of the bedroom is shut the door. And you don't have to look at it. That would be me. Very much so. Shut the door. You don't have to look at it. Uh, doesn't always um, meet agreement in the house. 0818 96 96 96. The average age for a child to get a mobile phone now is about nine years old. And they can get access 
to anything. We've talked about this before many times. And from the minute you switch off, or switch on rather, that phone, so the internet is only a few taps away, and everything from cat videos to TikTok to influencers to porn. And so many kids are accessing porn so young. And you don't need me to tell you that within a few clicks you can find the most horrendous stuff on a child's mobile phone or anybody's mobile phone. There's a sexologist based at the University of Galway who said recently, well, parents are saying to me, what's going on with our children? And the response she gives is, well, you gave them the phones. Which I gotta say, I I agree with her. If you're worried about your eight-year-old accessing pornography, then well, you gave him the phone. So maybe a look in the mirror might be the first place to start. Katrina Freer is education and training manager at the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, and has been tr- teaching um, teachers and parents on how to speak to kids about the internet and porn through a program called Let's Get Real. Let me start with that one, uh, Katrina, if we could, please. You know, if a child is accessing porn at the age of eight, well, the parent gave him the phone. Morning. Hi, P- PJ. Thanks for having me on um, the, the program today. Um, yeah, I, I think what's really important is that um, I think that young people have the chance to discuss kind of what they're engaging with online and I do agree that eight is, is very young for a phone and generally our programs kind of are aimed at second level um, students as well and what we do is get um, the programs are designed to enable young people to be critical consumers of what they consume so if they're coming across um, things online that they're not expecting which is what happens really um, most of the time you know they they, yeah. they pop up or they engage with them um, That what it means is that they're able to actually go okay well that's I, I understand that that's not real life and that's not the way real life is and I'm actually going to talk to somebody about it or have a chat and the programs are really kind of about creating a culture in school and also at home where these conversations are open and you're able to discuss things more openly because often what happens is parents might give the phone um, to a young person and then not really talk to them about issues that can can arise from it. And so what we want to do is create a a culture where that's eradicated. And what that means then ultimately is hopefully that um, the impact of media culture and pornography on young people will be lessened and the, the ultimate impact is that young people might be harmed or they're they're, they're in vulnerable positions as well if you hand yeah. a, a device to a young person maybe 13 14 let's get away from the eight or nine year olds i guess yeah 13 or 14 you hand them a device you are handing them access to the world, a world that you That's might right. want them to see and a world that you certainly don't want them to see. Yeah, and, and I think all parents probably agree that there's a bit of a pull, you know, because you want your child to have what everybody else has, you know, so the understanding is there it's to regulate it and to keep an eye on it and to constantly, constantly have conversations with young people so that they can understand what's on it. Just giving them the phone and then forgetting that they actually have access to everything Um is probably is not the, the way to go. So what we'd recommend is that th- there's open conversations and there's loads of ways that young pe- that parents can can open those conversations. And actually what 
it is actually good to start talking about these things when they're eight, not like obviously in a in a very informed and appropriate way, you know. So you start talking about what influences you and what your what influences you online or what what you watch on YouTube or what games are you are you playing and how they influence you, and then as they get older, you start using kind of conversations with them um, to talk about. You know, things that are happening in the media, for example, with influencers, with older teenagers or Mm. um, 13 or 14 year olds talk about, you know, those stories that are out there about the influencers that are out there and what they're what they're talking about and how good or bad that might be. And that's how you'd open the conversations. That's what we'd recommend, you know, that's what the programs are about, kind of opening that mind for young people. Who can access your program, Katrina? Yeah, so the programs are run. It's train the trainer. So we anybody that's working with young people can come to us for this training and it's uh, funded by the Department of Justice. So we have body rights and let's get real programs and they come and do, we do the training seven or eight times in the year and the educators come to us and do a four day uh, training program. And then they go off and deliver it in their settings to, um, to students in schools or to youth in youth projects or loads of different settings where they're at as well. So, um, and then they come to us for resources. We give them the resources, the activities to run with young people and um, methodologies and the processes and all that as well. Yeah. What we really concentrate on with the, the, what we hear is for, from teachers and other educators that they're kind of afraid to have these conversations with young people because you know it's heavy stuff but um what we do is we we on the in the training we focus on giving the educator the tools and the understanding of the uh, the issues so that they're not afraid to, to talk about it and it means that they're having these open conversations and also we really focus on being really trauma informed so it's making it really safe for the young person to have these conversations as well hmm. yeah i mean Look, let's face it, it's the reality, Katrina. It's it's just an uncomfortable truth. Children are going That's to it. come across this stuff. So and that, it's, yeah. it's our job to prepare them yeah. for it, correct? to talk first. And that's that's the, the, the angle we take, really. Because like that, you know, you, you obviously you know, it's not a good thing to hand an eight-year-old a smartphone. But it, with, for teenagers, they're... they're they're going to access, they're, they're going to have access to these things. So it's about educating them because what we actually know from doing a lot of research in the area is that young people, because their brains are still developing, they don't actually, they're not as able as us adults to decipher from what's real and what's not real. So if they see uh, behaviour in pornography, which let's face it, isn't always very uh, positive um, and it's, what happens is that gender roles um, that they're seen in pornography give them a messed up sense of what sex is, how to behave, um, what what my body should look like, um, what conversations I have or no conversations at all, um, you know. So and 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 who who should dominate and who shouldn't dominate, and that's what we're hearing from a lot of educators that the impact is really coming through to them once they open the conversations. And what young people are saying to them in in the the programs is they're actually kind of angry that they actually haven't been educated on this before, which is is interesting because what we're always saying is you know to start young and start the conversations at an appropriate level. So, okay. yeah. All right. Katrina, thank you. Katrina Freer uh, is Education and Training Manager at Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. They have a programme called Let's Get Real and helping young people to deal with the f- inevitable fact that they will come across pornography and I guess parents dealing with the inevitable fact that their children will come across it. I still, though, I still have to say I am very much in agreement 
with uh, the Dr. Higgins at the University of Galway. If a parent says, well, my child has come across a load of porn and they're only nine, well, you gave them the phone. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Yeah, you were calling, uh, talking about adult children using your house as a storage space. This came in on the phone. I have the answer. Get a skip. Make it known you're throwing the stuff out. And they will come and they will tidy it. They won't want to lose the stuff and they'll take it away. I did it. It works. Thank you. Oh, Louise, Louise, Louise in Mallow. It nearly happened to me. It didn't quite, but it nearly did. Hi, guys. This is Louise in Mallow. I was cleaning out my attic during the summer, and I fell down through it. Oh, no, I got stuck, and the neighbor had to come in and help me out. The mess. I was mortified. Yeah, you could also hurt yourself quite badly, so do be careful. We've floored, well, put down any bit. Here's a tip for you. Any bit of old flooring, old wooden flooring that you have in the house or any bit of old board at all, just take it up into the attic and screw it down and make a kind of a rudimentary floor. Makes it a whole lot safer. Thanks, Louise. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Susan Buckley has been listening to us this morning talking about decluttering and, and cleaning uh, Susan, uh, 15 weeks pregnant and you went tackling the garage yesterday. Are you mad, woman? Good morning. Well, my husband did think I was mad. Well, he did think I was mad. We nearly divorced yesterday, but we're okay again. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I love cleaning. Absolutely love cleaning, I suppose. My Instagram is nearly towards, it's why I started Instagram really is. I love cleaning. I love all that. I love the energy yeah. of it. 
I don't have a spotless house at all. And we don't actually have a garage. I say my garage online. It's actually my spare room until we get a garage. <laughs> One of those uh, garages. You job getting a but, car um, into that. Sue uh, Dan House on Instagram is the... That is it. That is it. I just, you know what now, I get a buzz off it. I, it's weird, but I genuinely think that if you have a clean house, now I'm not saying skirting boards clean and all that. I'm just saying, you know, clean a cleanish house that I do mm. think you have um, a better night's sleep. You have a happier husband because I'm not nagging at him to put things away. <laughs> so nice. there's a lot of benefits to it. <laughs> but surely he's got a role in keeping the place clean, doesn't he, Susan? Well, yes and no. See, will he do it right? To see, that's the problem. Now, I'm joking. He won't. Ah, no, Look, he's, he's very been... good. He's very good. But you know what? We have, we have, we're going to have three under three. And I feel like if Dan's at home, he's able to be there with the kids. He's at work in the mornings, and then he comes home, and he's with the kids, and I'm around as well. But I'm able to get a few bits done then. It's just, it's kind of a system we have going, I suppose. You know. But um, you, I do think that like a clear under, house. You, you will have three under three. I will have three under three. I was up this morning at quarter past five and I was cleaning my mirrors at about 20 past six. (laughs) I'm a bit crazy. Yeah, I'm a bit crazy. But you know what? I have a lot of energy. Yeah, I have a lot of energy and I do love cleaning. (laughs) Having three under three would sap your energy, I would have thought. I know, no, I do. I have a lot. I'd, I'd keep going now for a, a couple of uh, weeks and then all of a sudden I might uh, just kind of fail for a day. But yeah, I would have a lot of energy. But I don't know. I just think cleaning, I, I genuinely think it's really good for your mental health as well. And I don't know. I just feel very relaxed when the place is clean. And it might be some people might think it's absolutely mad. And sure, look, we all can't be the same. But sure. I, I don't, yeah, I don't be down on my hands and knees doing my skirting boards. But I do like to have the place clean. And we did what time away. did you say you were polishing a mirror this morning? About half a six. <laughs> half six in yeah. the morning, you're polishing a mirror. Yeah. yeah. But now I have to say, you need to go on to the stories today and you need to suss out the wonder cloths. It's only one wet, one dry cloth. There's no product. So it's very, very easy to do it. So that's the right. kind of trick behind it as well. Um, so, so, yeah, the wonder cloths are great. <laughs> we've all got a... We've all got a, a house to clean this weekend to take away yes. Christmas and put it away. Yes. And we'll be frazzled by the end of it. Absolutely frazzled. Any yes. help? Any tips? Any bit of You tell the husband guidance. to leave the house. You want to come and do it for us, by the way? You're more than welcome. Yeah. Oh, we could, yeah. We could, yeah. I'll have two babies with me, though. But yeah, That's you right. just, you know what, now? You just tell yourself after you have it away, you can get a takeaway. Is <laughs> the only benefit, I think. We had a takeaway yesterday and it got us through the day, but it is hard putting it all away. And like sometimes you kind of wonder why you put it all up, but it is lovely, and we did get it all away. And the house seemed very bare. I don't know, do I love it or hate it? But mm. it's nice to get back to a little bit of routine again and have things. That the kids are very good now with the Christmas trees. They haven't been pulling at it, thank God. Yeah. But I do see some people there, and they're dying to get it down because of their smallies. But um, just tackle it. Get up now if you're listening to the radio and you're looking at the Christmas tree and you're saying, when am I going to do it? Literally get up now and get up and put away the bobbles, start with the bobbles and it will just, it will just come. Yeah, it will just come. I think we just get the energy. Isn't your house or aren't your walls covered in, in smally mess, you know, markers? Yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, Paw prints, yes. But yeah, we have products on the page for everything. Everything is natural. So yeah, like I do, I do keep a top of it. But like you can't keep a top of everything. Like we are going to have to repaint our kitchen. You know, all these things. But like we have two healthy kids. So like it's grand. Like I'm not a clean, clean, clean freak. But 
the fingerprints do annoy me, but sure, they're kids, you know, it's going to happen. Yeah, like the windows, you can't keep windows clean. The two things you can't keep windows clean with, pets and you, children. Oh, I know, 100%. Well, my dad, my husband wants a dog, and that's the reason why we're not getting that. But, um, yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, I, I, I do find the windows are hard. We have a lot of glass in our house. I do find, mm. like, the newspaper and all that, once you get the bucket and the whole shebang, it is, it makes it worse, I have to say, and I'm not trying to promote anything, but I do have a system with a one-wet, one-dry cloth, and it's just easy. Even my yeah. Bonnie, she's only two and three months. She's nearly out doing it herself. God but love her. The poor uh, Sorry, but no, listen, hey, two years and three months, that is a professional mess waiting to happen. I know, You I know, know that, and I know, I know that. Anna, sa- Anna says to us, my windows are filthy with toddler paw prints. I can't keep them clean. Well, you need the wonder cloths. Please get the wonder cloths. They're the easiest things in the whole <laughs> entire world. They make life easy. But like, it is. Come here, lads. The, the fingerprints are going to be there. They're going to be in our house anyway for the next five, six years. And probably people are laughing going, no, love. They're going to be in the house for 18 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, we, we literally, do you know what now? We paw them ourselves. It's just, it's the, it's the initial mess. Like, I'm constantly putting up on my Instagram You'll page. Paw, yeah, but, but like, hang on now. Hang on now. You'll paw the window. Right, you will paw the window, Susie. I know, it I know there's yogurt on it. And there's no yogurt on your hand. I you know. know. Or no jam. And that's why <laughs> I have so much washing. I'm, like, people are saying, how did you have so much washing? But sure, they touch your, your knee trying to get up on you, and you have to put that pants in the wash because there's, yogurt, 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 there's loads of yogurt on it. So, like, I feel like they, yeah, kids definitely add... Add the jobs list. Um, they definitely add things to the job list. But yeah. look, as I say, it's it is a thing for mental health. I think if you do, like I genuinely have a better night's sleep. Well, my if he sleeps, Kai. But I do have a better night's sleep when I do feel like the house is clean. The and house is if clean. that's the, weird to yeah. some, it probably might be. But Kate was on. She said I spoke to an elderly lady one time when my kids were young and hard work, and she said the best advice I have for you is enjoy your kids when they're small, and don't worry too much about the house. The kids grow up so fast. Enjoy every day. Don't stress the little things. I thought it was great advice. But you, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I know that. But if you leave them to destroy the house, I know, I know. We never a pile and of I do rubble. get a few messages online saying, do you know, God, are you ever with your kids? But like. You have to think that, like, first of all, on Instagram, you're only seeing five minutes of my day. And, like, when I go into, let's say, Bonnie and Kai's playroom, I play with them, but I'm cleaning as I'm playing with them. So, like, you can kind of be smart about it, too. Like, I try and make, you know, when I'm cleaning the windows, I'll give Bonnie a cloth, and she loves it. Like, she, she and I, that might sound awful, but, like, she does. She loves being next yeah. to me. She loves being given jobs. She's a two-year-old. She loves the independence of it and I stuff. Know. So you can kind of make it fun as well. Is, how old is Kai? Uh, Kai is 10 months well he's 11 months now um, so 11 months and just over 2 so yeah and we're 15 weeks pregnant so the energy is still there I don't know how but are the kids allowed because I'm seeing as I have a young mum on the phone here's my I've always thought that in a house because it did happen in our house in a house there should always be one room or one space or one corner where the kids are just allowed to do wreck Oh, not a little bit wreck. Um, I wouldn't say that, but I would be like, look, if Bonnie has yogurt all over her face and she comes down and she face plants into a cushion, I'm not going to be odd over it. But like, where they do wreck, it would be a good idea, but we just don't have the space for that wrecking, yeah. that wrecking, that they outside now. I think it's great. We're just 
we're about to do our garden this year now and finish things outside and we've kind of a playhouse that we'll put outside and I've no bothers there put on the wellies away out we go and yeah Bob's your uncle but like inside I'm not sure now about that <laughs> I don't know what I'd be a bit if I had space yeah. for it yeah but, but I, we, I don't we have had space twins for it. and we had a kind of a sunroom at the back of the house when I lived in, in yeah. Carrigaline. And yeah. literally, we just pushed all their stuff out into the sunroom. And do you know what I did? Yeah. I went over to Woody's and I bought one of these factory sweeping brushes. You know the ones that are three feet yeah. wide? Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and, About a meter and, long. <laughs> and I just literally barged a pass I to know. the door. That's, That's so what it is. funny. That's good. But you know what? It wasn't a grand too. We're all here and we're all telling the story about but it. There's no, there's are, no point trying to tidy it up. There really was no point that made wreck of it again. So listen, if anyone wants to follow I your know. stuff, it's Sue underscore Dan underscore house. house. And you can follow the madness and the cleaning at six o'clock in the morning. I know, but you know what? I like to show reality because being parents and life and everything in general and kids not sleeping and all of that it's not easy and we all have washing we all have dirty houses so you can come all over and have a look and yeah just look the reality's there but um i think a clean house is hard to do if you smallies and you might not have the energy but even just do a cupboard one cupboard is actually great <laughs> just yeah. relaxation and so and then go to sleep looking into it so that it looks like the i know well put away your christmas trees now and <laughs> you'll be delighted Susan, thanks a lot thanks come a here we talk to you soon Take care. That's Susan Buckley. 0818 96 96 96. Premier League Live is taking a break this weekend, my friends. Returns Saturday, January 14th. That's uh, tomorrow week. Powered by Talk Sport. Trevor Welch back with all the action from the Premier League, including live games, big match interviews and more. The Premier League Live online brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Returning Saturday 14th on the app and at 96fm.ie. Just before we go uh, towards news, let me come back to the, the, the stuff being thrown at politicians because there's a huge difference in what people are saying. Kevin says the danger in actions like this is one-upmanship. The next time it's a bottle of bleach. People laugh it off and they say, oh, it serves them right. They don't listen. In today's world, it only takes one nutter to want to be famous. So, yeah, there's this week it was just a bag of poo at a public meeting. But bottle of bleach, acid, knife, where do you go from there? That's Kevin's point. And then Rocky says, get over it. It's not like he went up and took a dump on her. Ah, Rocky. Mick says, if I was earning the wages there on, I'd shovel SHIT all day long. Yeah, uh, PJ, I find it totally unacceptable. There's no justification for the lever of, of this anger or the way he did it. It was abusive and hateful. Ireland is a great country where you can chat with anyone. There are so many ways to get attention, just like me writing to you. Easy and civilised. Can't we just talk to one another? And that's from Dorothy. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Hawks 96 FM. Still stuff coming in about politicians and what happened up the country to those two politicians at the public meeting with this guy who has said quite openly he's identified himself and he said I did it because someone has to make them listen that was his stand on it isn't it amazing 
says this message how politicians can spout BS all day, but when someone actually throws some BS at them, they call high treason. Is this an example of the snowflakes we have in power? Sure, it's no wonder the country is crippled. During the summer, the Dutch farmers tipped trailer loads of manure at the door of ministerial buildings and then unloaded a slurry tanker against the front of the building in protest at climate action changes to agricultural practice. In Ireland, a pair of Ziploc bags make the news highlight of the day. It was a protest and not the assault that is being depicted. That's another take on it. Hey PJ, being upset, annoyed or angry is no excuse for throwing excrement or anything at anyone. That's an assault, whether there's an injury or not. Plus, if excrement was used, then that is a health hazard and should not be tolerated. There are more civilised ways of making your point or being heard or being noticed. Yeah. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96 we're talking about cluttering and cleaning and tidying. And yes, I, as I said, I confess I am the hoarder in our house. I'm the one who says I haven't used that thing in years. I mean, I have a stereo still in the attic. It doesn't work. I don't know where the cables are for it, but it's sitting there looking at me and I haven't got the heart to throw it out. So I know all about that crack. 0818 96 96 96. Have you made any New Year's resolutions? The only New Year New Year resolutions I made literally in the last 10 years, and I kept it, was I gave up sugar in my coffee. It was the hardest thing that I've ever had to give up because I drink an awful lot of coffee and I used to put a spoon of sugar in every single cup and it was awful. Now I look back and... I'm rid of it, and I would never put sugar in my coffee again. That's a small thing, though, compared to trying to give her up, give up cigarettes. I've never smoked, but I know plenty of people who've tried to give it up. I was only talking over Christmas about someone who hasn't smoked in 20 years, but walked past a person smoking in a smoking shelter and said, oh, my God, I'd love a fag, 20 years on. How the hell does that still become a thing? You're 20 years since you had a smoke and you, oh my God, I'd love a smoke. Now, if there's one person I know who tried and tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed and now it's off them for good at least is formerly of this parish and now producing TV in London, our own Brenda Dennehy. Hi, Bren. Hi, Pete. What's the crack? Yeah, sure. You got rid of them eventually. <laughs> PJ, I know. Like, I remember I actually gave them up. Since I gave them up on air with you guys as well. And I was doing quite well. And then, you see, it's one puff and you're gone again. Like, you're just gone. It just, it's one is too many. And like you said about that guy there, I still like the smell of a cigarette. Like, if there's someone smoking near me here now, I'm out in the sun here in Tenerife, right? And if there was someone smoking near me, I love the smell. And it's really weird. It's not that I want one, but I kind of love the smell, you know? Mm. And my well, thing how here... Did you, how did you do it at the end? Okay, so, like, do you know what? It was coming up to... You, I didn't put too much pressure on myself. And you know when you're saying resolutions, there's too much pressure going on with resolutions, speech. I don't give anything up in January. I think it's the worst month ever. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to have to set... Um, set a date the first thing I did was set a date and I started telling everyone about the date like everyone and anyone was told listen I'm giving up the cigarettes there on the 28th February 2020 it was just before the pandemic hit thank god because I was getting 
everyone around, anyone who was going on holidays abroad, they were getting haunted for me to give them, bring back cigarettes. Like, I probably asked mm-hmm. you for sure. I've asked Emer. I've I've asked everyone. So, obviously, when I, the world... I think I brought Siggy's home to at one point. Oh, I did, yeah. PJ, yeah. if I heard that you were going on holidays, you would be getting a text, come here, to bring back 200 Marbleites there because they were so cheap. I wouldn't buy them in Ireland. I hadn't bought them in years in Ireland because I had a rotation going. I had, like, a cigarette calendar. I knew who was going where, you know? So, like, my, my brother used to be travelling all over the world and he'd be like, I'm in Lebanon and I know the price. I was like, oh, my God, Nile, they're only, like, four euros. The pack there, we were back to 400. But I kept going. I kept going, but, like, I set the date, told everyone, right? So, like, obviously, then when you've told everyone, they're going to be on your back page. They're going to be like, you know... If you're going out for a sneaky fags, I'm like, I thought you told me you're going to fags. So instantly, you have a bit of guilt, you know? And I mm. suppose then, for me, having the final cigarette, I never forget, like, my last drag, I never forget it was in the apartment in Balancholic. And I just said to myself, after that last drag, I'm now a non-smoker. And, you know, after that last drag, it wasn't like a week down the line, it was that day. And that kind of did something to me mentally, you know? Mm. And obviously the first three hours, and they say three hours and three days and three weeks, and I kind of was like going by that. But I think for me, I remember giving them up on a Thursday, and then I said, you know what, I, you know the way we get out of work early on a Friday, and then I was like, I'll have the weekend to hibernate if I'm kind of, you know, moody and stuff, and I'll be out of people's way. So I kind of give them mm. up towards the weekend. And I, I'd advise them if they were giving them up, maybe give them up at the time that you're not going to be meeting too many people because you're going to be apologising for being moody and agitated and you might give in quicker to wanting to have a cigarette. So I remember that's what I did. Mm. And, you know, I kept telling myself that the withdrawal wouldn't kill me, that it would pass. You know, you'd kind of try and distract yourself, you know, and if there was anything like anything sugary that you kind of craved, I was allowing myself. It wasn't, I wasn't going to stop myself from having anything I kind of wanted to eat or anything like that, you know, anything for just to not smoke. They were kind of big ones for me, you know. Does it make it harder or easier in the work situation? Like, I know since since you left um, Broadcasting House, there's actually more people smoke on the top floor th- than when you were here. Um, but where you work now, I know there's no smoking in that building at all. Does it make it easier or harder if there's no smoking in the building where you work? I think, like, I couldn't imagine now going outside in the freezing cold for a cigarette. And to be honest with you, Peach, I'm working in places like BBC, we'll say, like, Sky. I wouldn't want to be seen outside the front door smoking and some big shot there seeing me with a fag, to be honest with you. Uh-huh. As well, we we wouldn't be outside the front door in 96 a.m. I wasn't Peach. I would always go up to my car or my yeah. other workplace. I always went to my car quietly, but... You know, I wouldn't want to be seen with a cigarette because people still do kind of look at it like a dirty habit. I wouldn't because I'm not one of those people, right? You know, these really annoying people, the non-smokers. You're the ones who give it up and they're kind of, they want to lecture you. And you're like, you were smoking there a few years ago. Who are you to lecture me? So I never be like that to someone, you know? So that's important mm. I mean, to I, not be like I, that. I've never smoked, but I'm surrounded by smokers. doesn't bother me. If you want to smoke next to me, just don't blow up my eyes. I, I, yeah, that, that, that's that, it. That's always been my way, you know? That's it, yeah, and we'll say if there was someone smoking near me here, no, I wouldn't mind, you know, because I used to be a smoker, and to come over to the Canaries and sit by the pool and have two cigarettes, like, that's bliss for people. I know non-smokers mightn't get that, but that's, like, mm. 
that's someone and a smoker's idea of heaven, you know. I well, what think is it as well? About four quid for a pack of 20 as well now, isn't it? It's really I cheap think over it's there. going up a small bit, yeah. It's, but you see, it's so cheap fuel to smoke even more. So I was on, when if I was buying them in Ireland, I was on like 20 a day. But if someone was going away and I was getting them abroad, there was two boxes coming with me for the whole day. Like Peach, I would have had like at least five smoked before I went into Broadcasting House in the morning. And I was, do you know what? I was downing with them some Coke Zero, like, Deirdre Shotnessy would never be over the Coke Zero thing, like, I was on six litres of Coke Zero on top of it, like, I don't know how I still have teeth, to be honest with you, do you know what I mean, but I put a stop to that kind of soon after as well, you know, but I suppose for anyone listening, you know what, I just, anyone listening who might be struggling with it, and you know what as well, they might go, sure, in second, it's gone the 1st of January, I won't bother, sure, I'll wait till next January, like, ignore that, Mm -hmm. There's, there's no right time or wrong time. It's your time. You know, set a date. If someone goes, this, I'm going to give up now the 1st of February, just stick to it. If it's like the 10th of November, stick to it. Tell people and you'll do it. And again, keep thinking the withdrawals will not kill you. They won't. And I have a very addictive personality. So for me to be able to give up stuff, you know, anyone can do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and how long is it now since you've had one? I will be off them three years now, come next month, and I'm delighted with myself. And yeah. I was staying there to Fargal. The first thing I do when I landed here or Spain or anywhere, it was like find the hairdressers and find the tobacco shop and buy a carton of fags and have a hair appointment made. And, you know, it's funny, you know, passing the tobacco shop, not going in there. And you know what, PJ, I'd be there then, the pressure bringing home over a thousand, hiding them in the bag then, scattering them all in the bag. <laughs> Coming through car customs and you bricking it and you're there. Oh my God, your man's there. Brenda Dennehy. If I remember I... the Brenda Dennehy <laughs> I remember would be sweet talking the fella in the queue oh. next to her to take a pack for her. But sure, come here. Them. I did too. I did that to a crowd in the plane. And I met him. Goes, will you take four hundred there for me? And they were like, what? They barely knew. But I was like, just take them. I'll meet you outside. Sure, my mother, anyone, they were all involved. Do you know what I mean? And they were like, God, hopefully one day she'll give them up. Which thankfully I have. And to be honest with you. That, I, I left myself three weeks. I was like, I'm not gonna, if I don't want to go to the gym nor anything, I, I'll just eat what I want. And I gave myself three weeks of kind of like, you know, eating sugary stuff, you know, dealing with the cravings. And I said, after three weeks, that's second it. Put on a small bit of weight. Didn't care, to be honest with you. And then mad into the gym now and everything teach. Completely Good different thing. person. Good completely thing. different well, lifestyle. Enjoy, enjoy Tenerife. It's just the most gorgeous I know you place. love it here. Yeah, I love yeah, it. I love fabulous. it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And we'll we talk again very, very soon. Lovely chatting, Jar. Right? Happy New Cheers, Year. Cheers, Brenda. Take care. And to you. And to you. That's our Brenda, uh, formerly of, of Cork's 96 FM, now playing her trade as a TV producer and radio producer in, in London. And off the fags at last. And out in Tenerife. And that's the bit I hate. 0818 96 96 96. Stream the freshest hits on the Hit Mix. Find the biggest workout bangers on the Fit Mix. The Cork's 96FM Hit Mix and Fit Mix are streaming live right now. Streaming live right now. Melody is playing, playing. Download the Cork's 96FM app. Listen on your smart speaker. Or go to 96FM.ie. Yeah, if anyone's trying to get started down that road of, of quitting the cigarettes, and I'm surrounded by so many smokers, I know, but I don't, I couldn't possibly know how hard it is but I know how hard they try to give them up and it can be agony to give them up uh, the HSE has a helpline uh, 1-800-201-203 1-800-201-203 
Hi PJ, I've given up the cigarettes since Stephen's day after many attempts. I'm now eating my weight in chocolate. I've done this so many times. But what I keep doing this time round is looking at my children. They're 2, 11 and 16. And I just keep saying, you need me here a bit longer, please God. I also find that usually I could go days without a cigarette. But the minute I'd have a drink, I'd long for a fag. So I'm trying not to have a drink either. Love the show. Happy New Year, Nessie. Thanks, Nessie. God, give them up Stephen's Day. Now, that was a wrench. <laughs> that was a serious wrench. Right in the middle of the Christmas season. You go, no, that's it, done. That's like trying to give up turkey on Christmas Day. Like, come on. 0818 96 96 96. I come to Trisha in London there in just a second about decluttering. Um, but John is on from Inchigila, and you might be interested in this one that John has made a point about. He said, We're being bombarded with messages from the HSE about COVID and vaccines and winter vomiting and smoking, and God only knows what. They'd want to stop telling us what to do and gone to do, to do their own job. Their job is to ensure timely medical access. It took me five days to get a diagnosis there recently. It's impossible to get a doctor's appointment by me as well. Take care of business and mind your own business. HSE. Okay. Okay. Thanks, John. 0818 Now, as I said in my house, I am the hoarder. I have to put that very much on the record. I'm the one who won't throw out the old speakers that are up in the attic for the last 20 years that I'll never use again. Trish, you're the same. Morning. No, not me. Not guilty. My husband. No. Yeah. Would you would you keep would you keep a bread a broken bread maker? A what? Uh-huh. A broken bread maker that he intends well, I do have to have a stereo that hasn't worked in years. Oh God. He intends to pass off his broken rubbish um, at car boot sales. This car boot sale that he will never do because I won't allow him to put his rubbish in the back of the car. He's unbelievable. Why does he keep... No. Why keep a broken bread maker? Because it might come in handy. I said, handy for who? I said, who's going to whisk it? You know the whiskey thing that's used to need the dough and everything that's missing yeah. <laughs> yes so crap like that sorry rubbish like that right right and mm. and, and anything else besides broken bread makers <laughs> <laughs> uh, a broken tassimo that he actually removed from the rubbish bin a coffee machine when i put yeah, huh? Yeah, doesn't work. I cleaned it. I descaled it. I put the yellow thingy in. Yeah, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Put it in the rubbish bin. I was down at the freezer a couple of days later, and there's the testimony in his shed. I mean, you should have kept Brenda on there. She could tell you about his shed. It's a, it's an Aladdin's cave of rubbish. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I am, I will. If something's broken, I'll try to keep it. Maybe I get a part or maybe I'll repair it. But like... No. I know, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I keep things that are kind of valuable, like my Live Aid programme or memorable what? football match. My Live Aid programme. You have a programme from Live Aid? Oh, yeah. 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 Right. But you yeah, don't I'll have keep a that. Uh, that has actually gone. 
that has actually gone. The bin came on Monday, and I it went in the bin. Yeah, mm. uh, he's, he's he's just he's he's just he has this mentality of it might come in handy. I mean, I said in my tweet about when we pulled up the carpets when we bought this house, and there were papers. They were either from 1952 or 1956. He put them in a bag, and he was holding on to them. He did. And it was either the Daily Mail or the Daily Record. I can't remember which one. Yeah. So, hang on. So you bought the house and you're changing and the, the carpets. carpets. And somebody yeah, else's carpet. papers. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was a carpet on top of another carpet, on top of lino, on top of a f- the floorboards covered in old newspapers. Yeah. And he kept And he papers. was hanging on to them. No, 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 they're, not, they're no longer here. They just went missing. <laughs> now, I, I will admit this. If I was doing that and pulling up the floors and found an old newspaper or, or an old diary, I'd keep it and I would read the paper. I absolutely you, would read the paper. But you couldn't. I mean, the minute you touched it, it started flaking. I mean, if he wants to read that, go down the queue and read the archives down there, you know. This no. is not as much Rubbish. fun. We would go down with the bread maker and the Tassimo and everything else, the the cooler fans that are broken down there and everything else. (laughs) Down in the shed. (laughs) Down down in the And I assume that when he wants to find the lawnmower in the springtime. Oh, he can. That is the the marvellous thing about him. He can lay his hand on anything down there. You want a certain screw, he knows exactly where it is. Oh, well, that's where yeah. we would differ. I have a little shed as well. And is there some of my junk in the shed? Sure. Is there some of the wife's junk in the shed? Sure. Can I find everything in there? No. So have I repeatedly bought a spanner or a pliers? Because I can't. <laughs> so I, I, I have about four pairs. I do a little bit of electrical hobby work around the house. I have four pairs of wire strippers. Oh, because my. I, can't, I can never find them a second time. But this isn't the shit. When I say shed, this is, you could actually get a car in it. Oh, no, mine's an overgrown kennel. Mine's a large kennel. This is is a six grand building at the end of our garden that leads to his allotment. And it's, it's his, I know where the freezer is and I know where the beer fridge is. And I'm quite happy. You've got your priorities right. No, well, I wanted one of those. I wanted a bigger shed than what we have at the end of the garden. And the Queen Bee said to me, no, we're not getting that because you will fill it with. Junk, and she was Absolutely. right. She's right. Of course, she's right. Yes. Yeah, but you see, you've probably got a loft. We haven't got a loft. Yeah, it's I, don't all even, I have to go up there at the weekend to repopulate it with Christmas stuff, and I'm even having cold sweats before I think about evening opening the door. Oh, I don't. Trish. I did mine Monday. Yeah. <sighs> Always good to talk to you, Trish. Thanks very much. All right. Cheers. 0818969696. There's a thing on the Christmas lights. I absolutely will have my lights on tonight. My Christmas tree, um, I put everything on remotes. So the whole front of the house is on one remote button. And I will have those lights on tonight. And the back of the house is on another remote button. And they'll be on tonight for one last go. Uh, there are people who were taking down their lights Stephen's Day, the 27th, 28th, last week. I couldn't do it. They've got to be up tonight. I have to light the house up tonight. It's 12th night. It's Women's Little Christmas. It's the last night of the Christmas season. So I'll have to have my lights on tonight. And then we start worrying about taking them down in the morning. 0818 96 96 96. Staying with Clutter. I remember hearing, this is Maeve, 
remember hearing a story of a woman whose two adult children kept putting off taking their stuff so she boxed it all up as Christmas presents and she asked their spouses to record them opening the boxes also in a few years you'll miss the paw prints and the toys all over the place there'll be plenty of time for a clean house says Maeve Cork Clothes Swap, by the way, are holding their New Year Swap this Sunday, 8th January, from 12 till 3 in the Black Market. If anybody wants to declutter their wardrobe, five clean pieces accepted, but you can take as much as you wanted. That's Claire from Cork Clothes Swap. And on giving stuff up, PJ, people need to give themselves a reason to give up the fags. We lost a baby, and I'm pr- sorry to hear that, and I promised that if I had another... I'd never smoke again. I got pregnant and never smoked again. When my dad was diagnosed with cancer, he gave up the fags in his 70s. You have to give yourself a reason to give up or do it for your children. It's a really good way to stay off them. My mother, and she'll remember this if she's listening, my mother was almost permanently off sweets. Uh, now, she's not a big eater of sweets anyway. She was always almost permanently off the sweets when I was growing up because this one was pregnant or that one was pregnant or someone else someone she barely knew in outer Jabrovia, their sister was pregnant and she was off the sweets to offer it up for the pregnant I realised that was my mother's way of avoiding sweets and you know she didn't want to eat sweets so she'd put it off for someone who was pregnant she'll kill me for saying this but I don't care morning ma'am 0818 96 96 96 so yesterday, I, I, I spoke to Catherine Griffin um, when she was working on her book. Yesterday, uh, Moraid was talking to her. Now, Catherine is a primary school teacher in Middleton. She's also a cancer survivor. Her dad was also supported by Marymount before he passed away. Catherine launched her self-published book, How to Hope to Cope, on World Cancer Day last year. And then every cent raised from the book, went jointly to the Irish Cancer Society and to Marymount. The book is about her cancer journey and her late father's cancer journey. And the fundraising effort, this is amazing, the fundraising effort has saw her hand over the keys to two new cars. Not one, two new cars for Marymount's community palliative care team and that official handover was yesterday and Maureen Maureen was talking to Catherine about it. My name is Catherine Griffin and I'm a primary school teacher in Middleton. So Catherine a big uh, morning for you today uh, given these two lovely cars here at Marymount. I suppose tell us a bit about why this is happening. Um, This is happening because um, I'm a cancer survivor myself and my dad actually died here in Marymount on World Cancer Day 2017 so I decided that day when I left here that I would come back someday and do something for them to pay in some little way to all they did to support him in his final days Um, so I made a pact that if I went a year without um, any side effects or surgeries myself I would do something so I went out to my car last year and I wrote this on my iPad um, while homeschooling and teaching online and then I self-published it to keep the cost down and then I launched it on World Cancer Day February the 4th which is my dad's anniversary and ever since then I've been going around every week to different done stores promoting it and selling it every Saturday and what does it feel like now to be able to, to have the physical carries oh here my goodness it's um, I don't know if it's
it's quite sunk in yet um, because it's just been so busy um, but oh, it's lovely seeing the palliative care nurses here this morning and giving them the keys and knowing what it means to them and yeah it's it's um, it's humbling really you know and I'm so grateful to everyone that supported me the whole year and tell us how important Mary Mage was in your story and your dad's story I suppose I've always been a daddy's girl. He's always been my best friend, and I, I wanted to mind him in the end, but it just wasn't the right place. It wasn't. It wasn't right for him to be at home. It just didn't suit. He was too unwell. So Mary Mount, even though I was afraid coming here, and I knew it was the end or the beginning of the end for us, I was just so grateful from the minute I stepped inside the door. I just felt we were carried, but yet respected and supported. And Dad loved it. And once he loved it, it made it easier for me. Um, so I'll be forever grateful for that smile they put on his face it didn't feel negative or morbid in any way it just felt like he was at home away from home I take us back when was your dad diagnosed he was diagnosed um, for the first time in February 2008 and he went on to have five diagnoses over nine years and what about your own story when were you diagnosed I was diagnosed on dad's second diagnosis with thyroid cancer back in 2012 that must have been really devastating for you as a family as well. Yeah, I think um, it, it's it, it difficult in the sense that, you know, I was a mom, I was a teacher, I'm a wife, I was a carer for my dad. So I think you just spring into action and think about all the people that are relying on you and you just get that strength to kind of, I suppose, not think about yourself and just get out, which is great because it's so distracting. And they were my priorities and that kind of helped in a strange way, you know. And what would you say to all the people who supported you now in, in getting this to fruition? Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and I don't mean just everyone that bought a book but everyone that stopped by everyone that cheered to me in Duns every Saturday or shouted across well done or threw a euro or bought a bar of chocolate for me or a bottle of water because I, I never come off the stand I literally stay on it unless I need to go to the toilet so once people like kind of got on board with that and oh, just the messages and the support just phenomenal thank you so so much I'm truly grateful and I suppose to be able to share your story as well was that really I suppose nice for you to be able to to tell people about about that story exactly because I suppose when I was going through different traumas in my life and different challenges I'd learn stuff and I'd write it down and I kind of thought god if there's only a book out there for me and I thought then well why don't I be the person that writes the book that passes on the book and passes on the lessons because sometimes it can be patronising if someone's telling you what to do and they don't show you what they've done so the fundraiser's very much like that it's me putting all those strategies in the book into practice and nothing was straightforward on this you know I did have to self-publish I did have to go on and plead for people to take the book um, and, and think outside the box all the time and that's what life is about really isn't it it's about thinking outside the box because nothing is going to go the way you want it to go so you have to make the best with what you have you know and is, is that a thing that when you get a cancer diagnosis within a family maybe for the first time you don't really know what to do or where to look so having this book now is maybe a little bit of a guide for people yeah it is and, and I think you know even being out and about and showing people that you know you can do things when you're a survivor and, and like there is life after cancer and I think as well you know I hit my 10 year cancer free mark one day here in Vanden Road Duns and I put a big number 10 balloon on the stand and it was just so joyful people coming across going oh my god you're 10 years and it kind of hit me then yeah I am 10 years and that's a privilege you know my dad didn't see longer than two years each time um, so I did I celebrated it and I celebrated it through fundraising and I can't think of a better way to do a celebration of a 10 year cancer survival milestone other than to be out trying to pay forward by paying back you know you have that, that wonderful achievement not one car two cars for Marymount's outreach team and of course if anybody has ever had dealings with them 
with the outreach team, you you know how wonderful they are, but you also know how much they they need their cars and their transport to get around and get to the houses that they need to be at. That's an incredible achievement by by Catherine Griffin. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Speaking of Marymount, and of course you know Marymount is one of our beneficiary charities for the Corks ninety six FM Giving for a Living Radiothon. And yes, it will be back in 138 days. I know, I know. I have all those things in my phone. It's just a sad thing I do. But the 138 days to the start of the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon 2023. I just want to get back to and, and read that again, uh, the message we got from John in, in Shagila about the HSE. Uh, and there are ads on the radio and on the television and the newspapers and some of them in Irish. I see, is it just me? Is it just me or are there a load of ads on radio, especially in, in Irish these days? Whatever, but I don't mind it, but it's just, I just notice a lot of them. John says, we're being bombarded with messages from the HSE about COVID and vaccines and winter vomiting and smoking. And God only knows what. They would want to stop telling us what to do, says John, and get around to doing their own job. Their job is to ensure timely medical access. It took me five days to get a diagnosis there recently. It's impossible to get a doctor's appointment where I live. Take care of business and mind your own business, HSE. I'd be wondering, though, John, like, is it not our own responsibility to a certain extent and I use that bit carefully, is it not our own responsibility to a certain extent to mind ourselves and to mind our health and to get our jabs and to look after ourselves? Don't don't put yourself by way of sickness, maybe. Maybe that's what they're trying to tell us. I don't know. But then Kate says a lot of people get hospital-acquired COVID-19. Oh, you wouldn't believe it, Kate. You wouldn't believe it. I know someone that happened to recently. In fact, Mark who emailed us yesterday from uh, CUH to talk about the conditions there. Mark is being treated for injury in CUH and, and picked up COVID in there. So it does happen, happens a lot. Kate says a lot of people get hospital-acquired COVID. So if the HSE wants to help the people who are most vulnerable, then they should sort out the overcrowding, the waiting room nightmare, and the trolleys being used as beds uh, it's almost a purpose built to spread it to the people with the least defence. I hear what John is saying. They need to fix what's wrong with them. And after that, worry about others. Valid point. Actually, there's a lot of um, secretly filmed footage was doing the rounds last evening. I saw some footage on the RTE website from Limerick. And I understand that there was footage. I didn't see it now, but there may have been footage from COH as well of the situation there. And the, whatever, the Lim- whatever the Cork one, as I said, I didn't see it. But the one from Limerick was just bonkers. It's like, if you ever remember the old television show MASH, remember it years ago? Like, MASH was always chaos because in the middle of a war. That's just what this was like. It was like being in the middle of a war. 0818 96 96 96. Some great pictures doing the rounds at the moment of a, a gang of history enthusiasts and they're dressing up in combat gear from the 1600s and uh, they're showing people how it was to live uh, long ago. What they're doing 
is they're recreating or they're rewalking, remarching, in fact, the great long march of, of 1603, uh, which took, I would have been finishing around, the, around 1602, would have been finishing. Uh, around January of the fourth of sixteen o three, and there's a gang of of them doing it, reenacting this long march. And one of those people is Crahur Osulawan. The one thing I'd say, Crahur, from the photographs, the costumes are fantastic. Morning. Jan. how are you? I'm good indeed, thankfully. Um, as I mentioned, getting plenty of fresh air, and I suppose that'll help with the. The last uh, uh, piece you were talking about as well, so uh, yeah. a bit of fresh You're air is great for us all. At the moment, you're on the march at the moment, aren't you? We were actually we started. Uh, I suppose it's a long project. Um, we started, let's say, in Dunboy last April, and what we planned to do was to do a series of uh, historical displays, living history talks along the trail in each county and village that was involved. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose rather than doing the walk itself, which we, which I've done myself previously in 2014, 2015, that was more of a personal, I suppose, project, whereas this is about communities. So we started last, last April in Dunboy. We finished in Leitrim in November. And then we started all over again in Glengariff last Saturday morning, which was the 31st of December, which was actually the, the 420th anniversary of the march itself. Mm. So what yes. we're doing is we're just doing a series of talks along the trail um, at different community centres and I suppose uh, outdoor and both indoor as well. We're blessed with the weather at the moment. Yes. Um, so we as we went from Glengariff then, we had a great turn- turnout in Glengariff. We did a little bit of the walk and then we went on to Newmarket where we went to the Culturland Centre there. We met the McCall of Clans, which would have been involved in the march. Uh, in greeting uh, or, uh, you know, the O'Sullivan's on the way in 1603. Uh, so we had music, we had food, we had plenty of chat, and I suppose yes. our basic yes. focus is community, and uh, we're finding it um, a great tonic, really, for ourselves yeah, as well as everyone else. It is quite a fascinating story, um, going, going way, way back. Like, it must, have been, it must have been a fierce, difficult march. I mean, like, back Absolutely. in the day, a cruel Absolutely. conditions, I'd say. Well, it, it was horrendous conditions because, um, you know, in, in 1602, 1603, from the records, they call it a mini ice age. So you're talking about taking a thousand people from Glengariff all the way to Leitrim, you know, um, to, I suppose, treacherous uh, ground as well from the point of view of landscape and conditions, mm-hmm. but also locals. A lot of the locals would have turned on them, you know, because they were threatened yeah. by... Uh, by the authorities at the time that if you yeah. if you help us Sullivan and uh, the people um, there weren't there any roads like back then <laughs> no no you're talking about and the things they had to avoid a lot of towns and a lot of uh, populated areas so any what would have passed as a road back then they would have avoided for, for fear of being attacked I so see. horrendous see, conditions do. was it a thousand people left and, and only mm-hmm. 35 made the full 35, journey 35 wow. got to lead them no, and, uh, unfortunately they were attacked continuously along the way and what I find fascinating about the story is people will hear about the, the march of the 10,000 Greeks and they will hear about the Spartan 300 at Hell's Gate. And then you'll hear people talking about the Trail of Tears in, in, by the Native Americans in America. This mm. is our Trail of Tears, really. So you have 1,000 people starting and 35, 14 days later arriving yeah. in Leitrim. No, for, not for all people of them not, killed. For people not totally familiar with the story, mm-hmm. 
um, Crahor. And and what, what? Why were they marching from Kin from, from Glengariff to to Leitrim in those conditions? Why? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great question, and it's one that we get asked quite a lot. You know, why in God's name would you do such a thing? So you're you're talking about you're about a year after the Battle of Kinsale and the collapse there. Uh, O'Donnell had gone to Spain and unfortunately had died there. O'Neill had returned north. So while Carew and Wilmot were still putting down the rebels, uh, you know, in Munster, uh, O'Sullivan himself were still had a, still a strong force and they were uh, continuously fighting for about another year after the, the mm. fall of Kinsale. And eventually, so they were, effectively, they were they were trying to get away from the from the the war zone in Kinsale where they were still. Well, you see, they had, uh, they had uh, gone from Kinsale back into their homeland of Dunboy, and, uh, uh, of course, they had put uh, 300 civilians out in Dorsey for safekeeping as well from Dunboy, who came under siege. <laughs> and, unfortunately, there was, no, yeah, there was no prisoners taken on Dorsey. They were all massacred. So oh, then, eventually, uh, eventually, unfortunately, they were in Glengariff Wood, and the, they were surrounded by the forces of the Crown, and I suppose the local uh, loyalist Irish as well, um, and their choices were to surrender and face the fate of maybe what happened in Dorsey and Dunbuy. You're talking about places we know, obviously, Crowhour, like Glengariff the, Woods. Everybody knows where Glengariff Woods is, a lovely place to go for a walk. Beautiful, and, beautiful, yeah. And they were hiding in it for fear of their they were lives. There. And they had been attacked three times. You know, they repulsed noisy things. O'Sullivan's soldiers were veterans at this stage. And he was down mm-hmm. to about 350 of these veteran soldiers. So they knew that, you know, the, as the man says, the the chase was up. So the the option was to stand and fight to the fight the last man, or surrender and try and seek terms. But that didn't work out well for Dunboy or Dursey. So yeah. they decided we go to Leitrim because O'Rourke was still standing and fighting, and they hoped that if they got to Leitrim, they'd be able to join with O'Neill, okay. and maybe some Spanish help would be forthcoming again. And but unfortunately, it wasn't so. Uh, and they had to keep themselves safe, not just getting from one end to the other, but but along the way. Like when you're on a march like that, in yeah. those conditions, in a mini ice age, and we like we have to imagine a time, don't we, Krahur? We have to imagine a time before telephones, before roads, before electricity, before running water, Absolutely. before any of these Absolutely. things. Like what did? How did you eat, for example? How did you feed your people? Yes, they they had when they left Glengarriff, they had about forty-two hours of provisions with them. After that, and this is you're talking about a thousand people strung out. You know, I mean, they wouldn't have all stayed together because again, sure. it would have been impossible to you know to maintain order along the way. But they did their very best. Uh, but these were our ancestors, you know. So powerful, powerful people. You know, uh, they ate what provisions they had within 42 hours. After that, it was a matter of foraging and taking from locals what they could or paying for whatever they could get. Um, and the thing is, in the middle of those conditions, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of foraging, you know. So um, what they would have brought from, you know, a lot of these people were fisher people, fishermen, I should say. So mm-hmm. they would have had dried fish, fish. They would have had uh, seagrass, kelp, stuff that we call superfoods now. But that wouldn't have lasted long, as you can imagine. So uh, they would have oats. They would have, if they had uh, nuts, you know, from the harvest and things like that. Anything, anything, get their hands on it. It's hard, yeah. isn't it, Crahor, to imagine right, what it yes. must have been like. Well, lastly, what's your own fascination with this? Well, I'm an O'Sullivan myself, as, as, you, as you can tell, and um, I was raised in this story, really. You know, so my uncles and my my my, my father and grandfather would have passed down the story to me. So I suppose from day one, 
I was fascinated by it. But then to be able to, I suppose, walk the trail and actually yeah. wear the clothing and talk about the yes, food the genuine costumes. You get the cost. The costumes are authentic. They're authentic as, as close as we possibly can get, and we have a seamstress in in the in the team on the team as well. She right. makes uh, everything that we have, are, are the armor and the swords. Um, everything is comfortable, bar the shoes. The shoes, there's no support like modern shoes. You know, there's no arch support. Um, so you're you're walking in, uh, you know, tough conditions. If the pets weren't tough enough, you're walking in these shoes that wouldn't have had arch support and very little cushion. So that would be the hardest and most uncomfortable piece to kit. Everything else, the armour, you know, the swords, uh, the muskets, the, the wool cloaks or brats or mantles, as you call them at the time, all comfortable, yeah. bar the shoes, as I say. Well, better, better you than me, uh, and safe passage <laughs> to you all. Krahur Osulwan, uh, out at the moment with the group on the Great March from Lingariff to Leitrim Castle and should be getting there around the 14th of January. Cheers. 0818969696. We've got a story here breaking. You'll hear more about this in the news, I imagine, on 96FM at midday. A woman has been rescued from a burning building on the Western Road, uh, rushed to hospital in a critical condition. That's breaking at the moment. We know no more than that. If you're in the area and you do know more, call me at 0818 96 96 Woman rescued from a burning building on the Western Road. This still happening in the last few minutes. Rushed to hospital. I assume the Mercy is the nearest one in a critical condition. Now, uh, it is Little Women's Christmas. Nulig Naman, last night of the season and women will be out partying tonight. I, I do remember it in my DJing days and my karaoke days. It was one of the one of the maddest nights of the year, I don't mind telling you. Anne Buckley, the Queen of Farinry, are you going out? You are. Good morning. Hello. I'm, going, I'm only going up the road though, up to the local um, the local bar. Fairfield Tavern bar. Oh, oh I know the Fairfield. What what are they doing up there? Well, they're just, uh, we have music now. There's a fella there, uh, I think it's D. Reard, and he's very good. He's brilliant. Nice. And they're doing some bit of food for us, you know. But as every other place will be packed tonight, PJ. I know, I know. You know, there's know. there's a lot going out, like, so we just go up to the local then. Yeah, be with the days. Now, when we used to go, um, I suppose I'd tell you the story. One year there, we went to... Um, Vienna Woods. Yeah. Dickie Rock was there. Oh, Dickie. Well, I Dickie, tell you the, what a night by we had. The, but the it, buses used to come from all over the country for Dickie. Oh, everywhere, everywhere. For sure. We we only came from Banry down Lake. Yeah. But we had a brilliant night with him. We really had. We were outstanding. Mm. Yeah, did, did they throw a, their a, underwear a, at him? Did you throw? Did you I throw your underwear you know, at Dickie I, I did. I didn't throw them at all, but I said there was plenty did. And really? there was a family there. No, and I won't name them, but I tell you, they had the, the biggest necklaces we ever saw in life. What? They were huge. Well, they used to bring and along special knickers to throw at Dickie. Them, yeah, they're outstanding. I can remember playing with, with, with Joe Mack in the Silver Springs and it was just a bit mad. Oh, Joe, Joe. <laughs> it was mad altogether. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did it. It goes mad for Joe. No, too, like, we saw him at a... Did he um, ever spit at you? 
No, no. I, <laughs> I'd say you'd have dropped out in a weakness, would you? I'd say, I, I, I think you'd be paid up if he'd done that. <laughs> but the rock, oh, what a night we had. Spit at me, Dickie. DJ, and there was a couple standing. I always remember this now. There was a couple standing at the edge of the floor. Right. And your man must have been about 17. No, he has to be like a big, yeah. a, a country person, like. But right. the girl that was with him, I say she couldn't have been more than 30, 30 odd, maybe. Yeah. So Rock was mad, he was mad waving over, up, you know, to him. Yeah. And he was waving back. And when the song finished, he went over and he said, Hello, hello. And who are you? Is that your dad? He said to her. No, 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 she should ask me, fella. When I saw the look on Dickie Rock's face that night, he looked at me much. I said, just fool, you shouldn't have opened your mouth. And go on, have a good I night swear. up in the Fairfield, so. and we'll talk again. So. Take care. Anne Buckley, the Queen of Farronry, going out tonight to celebrate Women's Little Christmas, as thousands will, and why wouldn't you? That's it. We're way over time. Thank you, Emer and Fergal. Thank you, Wayne, on the desk. Thanks to Chair for your engineering help over the last couple of days. I'll be back in Studio One from Monday morning, just after nine.